Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right. Getting over is back once again. And folks, we say it all the time to kick off this show, but boy, oh boy, do we have an absolutely loaded show for you. Obviously, we will continue discussing the significant WrestleMania 40 controversy as it pertains to Roman Reigns, The Rock, and Cody Rhodes. We dropped an instant reaction show for you on Friday and covered so much of what happened that night. But even since then, so much else has transpired that we have one of the most extended main events in the history of this podcast coming up for you in just a bit. Before we get to that, and before we even get into the show, allow the Silver King to remind you straight off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage, Chris Vanini, and the award-winning Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by heading over to Apple Podcast and Spotify, leaving some five-star ratings on Apple, taking a little extra time to leave a five-star written review, because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And we did get two more five-star reviews over the weekend. First, from Hot Biz Kits with a Z, he says, me too, which concerned me with me too being the title of this thing. Uh, it said five stars, but he said me too, because I also happen to love the number five. So glad to hear that hot biscuits, short, sweet, and to the point, we appreciate it. We also got another five-star review from Bagger Vance, 23, in-depth and fair coverage of the sport, five stars. Got a new work computer. I'm anti-Apple, so I can finally do this as I'm a dedicated listener since the shut up and let me effing talk days. And what's funny is I know this name, Bagger Vance, like in terms of a listener. So longtime listener, first time reviewer, clearly. He said, by far the most thorough and least, quote, tribal of the shows out there, Vintage and the Silver King go deeper into the matches, storylines, and behind the scenes info as possible without flag planting for a brand show, etc. My favorite part is how they're willing to have a strong opinion in real time and be willing to adjust as the product moves and things can change. Sometimes this is difficult as they're willing to post multiple instant reactions to breaking news and events. Easy five-star listen, even if not in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, so look, I'd love to get to the Tokyo Dome one day. That would be fantastic. But Bagger Vance 23, we greatly appreciate that. Both you and Hot Biscuits, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. And while we were able to single out those two for their five-star reviews, we would be remiss if we began this podcast without acknowledging literally all of you, because without you as our listeners, first of all, the show wouldn't exist, uh, but we also would not have been named best wrestling podcast for 2023 as part of the 2024 sports podcast awards. We were able to allude to that last week. It happened, I believe, just before our regular Thursday show, our NXT and AEW show 
went down. So we've briefly mentioned it a few times, but this is our first actual opportunity to spend time and discuss the fact that we did win the Best Wrestling Podcast Award. And trust me, I know we do a lot of promotion on the show for the five-star reviews, following us on Twitter, the Buy Me A Coffee, all that. And we had to sneak in that extra one for you guys to vote for us. But clearly you did. Um, We beat the Kurt Angle podcast, which was second place. And that's a damn good show. And there were some other big-time podcasts nominated for the award. But just to earn that and to uh, receive that opportunity, and not just that, so many of you. and, And I'm sorry I didn't like them all or reply to them all or retweet them all. I'm going to go back through my mentions, and I'm exactly going to do that, I promise you. But so many of you reached out with positive words uh, of encouragement, positive words about the show, even after learning that we won the award. It means a lot to us. You know, as you you guys have listened to the show, we're more than 550 episodes into it. We largely don't have advertising, right? Occasionally, we'll drop something on here. Uh, The show's free. We do have the buymeacoffee.com slash getting over that you can sign up for. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um... But there hasn't been much that we've asked other than for you guys to help us pay for hosting and pay for equipment. You've done that. We've given you the show. And it just feels like this fantastic, mutually beneficial uh, relationship all around this absolutely ridiculous, insane, and fun uh, entertainment avenue that is known as professional wrestling. So I wanted to say thank you. Of course, I wanted to acknowledge you. And I'm quite sure that Chris, uh, and we'll get him in here, Vintage Chris Vanini, I'm sure he has some things to say as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was blown away, but but by the award and the reaction and everybody's incredibly kind comments and you know, like it, it's it's I always say this, but it's just, it's great to get the feedback, whether it's on mm-hmm. Twitter or review, a rating, whatever. Just anytime we hear from you guys, I, I I love it. There's always way more of you than I think of in my head sometimes, and to to win this. Uh, couldn't have been done without everybody. Really appreciate everybody for listening. And I like that we've been building something. I mean, again, we started this podcast at the beginning of COVID. Right. You know, and went through the Thunderdome era and didn't know what to do. And I just want, I, I had finished up a, a Michigan State podcast and just wanted to talk wrestling somewhere. And we started doing this and having a lot of fun and um, just blown away, honored. Wouldn't have been possible at all without the listeners and what you guys have done for us and voted for us and loved it and hoping at some point down the road, um, if, if Adam and I are ever at a show together to try to do some sort of meetup potentially for any of the getting overheads who are in town. So if that happens, we will let you guys know, but uh, really appreciate everybody for listening, for voting and uh, just really blown away. Yeah, uh, I would absolutely love to do that. I, I'm thinking this all of a sudden, Chris, the WrestleMania 40 plans of us both being there starting to wane a little bit in terms of the Silver King. We'll see maybe if that changes as we get a little bit closer. Um, But I'll tell you, I actually missed out on very generous listeners. DM'd me. One wanted to buy me lunch. uh, One wanted to get me some beers. Apparently, he realized that we were at the same brewery at one point uh, while I was in Tampa. And I just didn't see the DMs. And it sucks because I would have loved to have met some of you guys. I had a very busy week uh, in Tampa, St. Petersburg for Royal Rumble. I was with friends in addition to the fact uh, of just, you know, doing the show and and going to the event and all that. Uh, but it was great to see that you guys reached out in that regard. And yeah, Chris, I mean, I would love to do a live show. I would love to do a meetup with listeners. We're just going to have to find the right time and place and execute it. I'm sure it'll come together at some point. Um, but the fact that we've been doing this now for, like I said, over 550 episodes, which is legitimately wild. Like if you actually think about it, it's, it's, it's crazy that we've done that many shows not just the weekly, you know, WWE and AEW shows, but the instant reactions, the instant analysis. This is actually episode 552. 
And given it's early in 2024, clearly we're going to hit 600 episodes before the year is out. Uh, it's just crazy. It's It's been a wild journey. I'll also mention we don't normally state this or clue you guys in on where we rank in podcast charts, but literally for the last two weeks, we have been the number 24 wrestling podcast in the United States on Apple Podcasts, both weeks, the same exact spot. Uh, the listenership, um, our Royal Rumble instant analysis is on pace to be our most listened to episode ever. The very special WWE instant reaction we did this past Friday is on its way to being to one of our most listened to episodes of all time. It's already in the top 15, even though it's only been a couple of days. So listenership is up. Uh, followers are up. We won our first award. This just feels uh, fantastic. And we appreciate all of you guys being there for us, but we don't just appreciate you. We acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. And I did want to mention, even though we have the buy me a coffee, and I know many of you are subscribed to that, and we'll tell you what comes with that, of course, in a moment. I did want to mention that we do have a couple bills to pay. We have hosting costs to pay. We're also looking into a subscription with StreamYard. That way we can do a video, whether it's for interviews, for a YouTube channel, or uh, just to have better sound overall. We also are looking at equipment so that we can do on-site interviews and they can sound better. You'll hear this Royal Rumble press junket interview episode that I've been teasing for all of you. Uh, it's not going to sound great. Let's just be completely candid about that. The interviews are good, uh, but the sound quality is absolutely atrocious. So we're looking to make some future investments into the podcast. So beyond the Buy Me a Coffee subscription, which is obviously open if anyone wants to sign up and get additional content, that would be fantastic. I did want to just share one time uh, our Venmo, and it's really just my name, Adam Silverstein. You can find it as it's spelled out in the Twitter profile, but it's E-D-A-M-S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. No spaces, no dashes, nothing. The avatar or the uh, icon, whatever you want to call it, is the ECW uh, World Heavyweight Championship, so you know it's the right person. But if anyone uh, wishes to donate to the show and help us achieve some of these goals, we would greatly appreciate it. And the other thing that you can do, if you don't want to just make a straight donation, is that you can remember this podcast is not only all about the five, but the Silver King himself, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single week, along with exclusive news posts generally published on Fridays. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We had four or five new subscribers just in the last week, and we would love to have you as well. Please also remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It is also where you can DM and tweet us questions and comments for the show. We do our best to get to them every single week. Some weeks, of course, are busier than others, but we keep the important ones and we try to get to them as quickly as we possible on air. Again, that is Getting Overcast on Twitter. All right, Chris, that was a extended intro here for the show, and we have an absolute ton left still to discuss. We have the main event, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're going to try our damnedest to have enough time to bring back the last word. And we're going to get to all of that. But I'm afraid I've got some news. A number of topics we're going to discuss here at the start of the show before we get into the meat of this performance-enhancing audio, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. The first topic is Kazuchika Okada, 
who is still seemingly deciding between joining WWE and AEW. And Chris, I know you're not necessarily the biggest New Japan pro wrestling fan. You may have only seen a handful, perhaps, of Okada matches in your life. But it's something that is important to discuss because other than Mercedes Monet, who does not seem to be a free agent, it's widely acknowledged that she has signed with AEW, Okada is right now the biggest free agent in professional wrestling. And he has this very interesting choice to make. AEW is undoubtedly more comfortable for him. He knows the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. He's wrestled there multiple times. He knows many other performers that are there. Tony Khan's already paid him previously for making those appearances. WWE, he knows people there, obviously. Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, some of the Joshi wrestlers, and a couple other people who wrestled in Japan, uh, like Bronson Reed, just as one example. But WWE is more risky. But despite that risk, it also has a much, much higher ceiling. And I find it more interesting for Okada, just because there's a bevy of legitimate first-time matches that he can have in WWE, whereas in AEW, most of his best matches will be rematches that we've seen numerous times previously. Kenny Omega, Jay White, I forget if he's fought John Moxley, but feels like they have, maybe they haven't. Um, will Ospreay is going to go over there, so like one after another after another. It's interesting, though, with Okada, because he's going to get a big payday. I'm first curious how big, and I ask that because I don't really see him moving the needle in either company. WWE's audience is largely unfamiliar with him. AEW's audience largely watches New Japan anyway. So sure, they'd be adding someone that would make the product better. No question, Okada's a huge value add. But I don't know that he's going to bring viewers to the product, even though his talent is immense. But you got to believe, like... If Tony Khan is fine with signing guys full time and letting them live in their home countries, even if that means they're only on TV sparingly, then AEW has to be the favorite for him, especially since WWE is not going to break the bank when they have this entire developmental program that is clearly in the process of creating major stars. Look at Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams and Braun Breaker and Tiffany Stratton and Roxanne Perez. I mean, look, Okada, obviously better and more experienced than all of them. But WWE does not necessarily need the free agency process anymore. So I'll wrap it up with this. Okada, WWE far more interesting and intriguing, much higher ceiling. AEW far more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I would split it down too. We've seen Okada in AEW a handful of times already. All of his biggest matches with American wrestlers, most of those guys are in AEW. So I don't, I don't think he'd really move the needle all that much for AW, but it would be a lot more comfortable. Uh, WWE would be new, bigger stage, fresh. You know, think about Okada versus all kinds of people in WWE. Seth it's, Rollins, it's Gunther, Drew McIntyre, yeah, Roman Reigns. We'd say, man, yeah. Normally you'd say, Okada, go to AW, have all the great matches. That's what the hardcore wrestling fans would, would want. But in this case, we've seen all of those. Right. We've seen Okada. Osprey and Omega and, and and all those kinds of things. Even Brian Danielson, we've right. seen that in AEW. We've seen it twice already. We haven't seen him. Yeah, we we haven't. It would actually be more interesting and give you more exciting matchups in WWE because we haven't seen all of those. Mm -hmm. So, I, I obviously I have no idea which way he's going to go. I don't think I, I think you're right that WWE doesn't need him. I also kind of question if he moves the needle that much for AEW in the grand picture of things mm -hmm. but uh 
yeah, I guess we'll wait and see, but two interesting options. Yeah, for sure. I also wanted to talk about WWE production, which is not really a news item, but it's something we've been tracking. I'm loving what they're doing. It's just across the board. They're doing entering arena clips across both shows. It gives each mm-hmm. episode a big fight feel, even if maybe there aren't that many big fights. The length of the title reigns are getting listed alongside bottom third graphics, along with other interesting information that people might have if they're not champions. I don't know if you've noticed, have you seen those full screen, high quality sliding graphics that they're using as transitions, largely like going into a commercial break where like someone's entering the ring. They did it with the KCs uh, on Raw, but they've done it with Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns and and Cody Rhodes previously. It's graphics and it's almost like a Titantron, like the old school highlight Titantron. And they're putting it on the screen and they're better than the actual Titantrons, which are just names. They should really be what is on that LED screen behind them. I find them immensely eye-catching. Backstage interviewers are throwing it back to commentary. Yes, I wrote this in my notes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean mean to take your thing. I didn't mean to take your juice on that one, I'm sorry. Uh, But they used to just stare blankly at the camera. They'd finish talking and then just stare. Now they're saying back to you, Michael, or whatever the case. Uh, Monday during Raw in particular, the product just felt completely fresh from a production standpoint between the number of times wrestlers were shown preparing before matches, some, you know, getting themselves pumped up, others working out, some walking into the arena, whatever the case might be. There were different backstage interactions. Adam Pierce was in a meeting with a wrestler, surprised that another wrestler was entering the arena when they weren't planned to at that time. I could go on. I could name like 20 things, but... We have so much to discuss on the show that we don't really have the time. I just love the way the shows have been coming together from a production standpoint. It feels different. It feels fresh and it feels modern. And that is what's most important. Yep. It's a bunch of just little things that make it feel like a living, breathing world and not like some fantasy world that's just coming through your screen for sure. I Yeah, I, I wrote down the the backstage interviewers throwing back to commentary. I've said that for years. I was like, that's what every normal interviewer does. Why don't they, why do they just stare at the camera and like try to give some look? No, it's, it's, it's more, it feels more real that way. I love it. Really a bunch of really stuff. You know, we wondered when Kevin Dunn left, what types of changes we might see. And I think we're starting to see little bits here and there that, uh, that I'm enjoying. And it's not a surprise that they're trickling in week to week. Cause there's a new person in charge and you know, you got to see what works and what doesn't, you got to try different things. But the fact that I, there hasn't been one yet that I've disliked is, you know, you guys know how critical we are on the show. Like, that's a shocker, right? So, so far, so good. Just wanted to mention that. Uh, Corey Graves, we did briefly mention that he took over SmackDown play-by-play on Friday, Wade Barrett sitting in next to him as the color commentator. A quick review of Graves. And just like with Kevin Patrick, just like with... Jimmy Smith. Yeah, Jimmy Smith. Great point there. Um, we will give like a full evaluation maybe after one month and then after three months. And that'll be where we wrap it up with these guys. But on initial viewing, first time having Graves in that chair full time, I thought he did a fine job moving the show along, like the pacing veteran job actually. And he's done it for a long time. So that's not a surprise, but he struggled like naming moves and keeping up with the in-ring action while simultaneously storytelling. And that's very difficult to do. It's something Michael Cole does expertly. He'll be having a conversation with Pat. A move will happen. He'll talk about the move and what it means. And then he'll go back to the conversation. I'm sure that's going to come with time and experience for Corey. He's a smart guy. He's a capable guy. But it was noticeable for me on Friday that commentary was far more conversational than it was action-based 
which is not exactly my favorite type of commentary. Yeah, I, I, I'll need more time to really kind of absorb it. I thought it was fine. Like you said, I think the fact that he's a familiar voice makes it a lot less jarring for things that might be different. So I, I think I need to just pay closer attention. But I agree that it was conversational, which I, I don't think is a bad thing either. I mean, you, you go back to Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. They're not like calling out every move and stuff like that. So it, it is um, it, it's something we'll come back to a couple weeks, see how it's going. I, but my first reaction was it, it was fine. Definitely fine and definitely an improvement on Kevin Patrick. There's just no question about it. And that's just episode one with Corey in that chair. So again, we'll talk about it 30 days. So another three weeks after, and then uh, three months, just like we did with Kevin Patrick, just like we did with everyone else. Uh, Gasoline by the weekend is the official song for WrestleMania 40. And normally this is not something worth mentioning, but I actually have two thoughts on it, Chris. One, the song sucks. Uh, Two, it sounds exactly like the last four WrestleMania themes. And that might be (laughs) because all five WrestleMania themes in the past have been weekend songs. Did they sign some type of deal with him? Does someone in production, Triple H, whomever, do they just love the weekend? Like none of these songs, I I don't just mean this for gasoline. I mean, the last five, none of them fit a big fight show like WrestleMania. They're so low energy and melodic and it just confuses me how, and we just mentioned this on a recent show, like Highway to Hell, that fantastic uh, song and it's you know a real song obviously uh, but for SummerSlam back in the day it, it amped you up when you heard that coming into the show look Greenlight with Pitbull I know we all got tired of it okay but it worked for Wrestlemania these weekend songs don't work I don't know why they keep choosing them and I don't dislike him as an artist necessarily like I do like rap R&B all that that's actually my favorite genre but For this, for professional wrestling, for WWE, for WrestleMania, it does not work for me at all. Yeah, I mean, it's personal taste. It's very poppy, the weekend stuff, and it's very party feeling designed to appeal to a wide variety of people. They feel like WrestleMania is going to be a fun time. Come listen and here's the theme song to the fun, you know, almost like a Super Bowl. But no, I I prefer uh, not rap type of stuff but like hard rock type of stuff i love the theme for vengeance day uh the song called dark side yes that was great i watched that that got me like fired up it feels like a big fight and instead i think wwe will now typically hold those songs for the promo videos as a the individual match Mm -hmm. videos as Mm -hmm. opposed to the overall show theme it annoys me. It doesn't, it doesn't get me fired up. I would prefer to have something like that, but it's just the era we're in now where every big event just goes with some generic poppy song. Uh, and it is what it is. I I don't, I don't love it. Yeah. It pisses me off too, just because like I'm a rap hip hop guy, but I totally agree with you when it comes to WrestleMania, I want hard rock. Like I want you know, that, that it, it feels right. Just think like the raw intros from back in the day. That's wrestling mm-hmm. sound. That's just high impact, loud, crashing guitars, drums. That's what I want. I don't want some guy like lulling me to sleep. It's just so weird. So I just had to say that. I, we won't talk about it again, but I had to say it there. Uh, we and ex- will. <laughs> no, hopefully not. Uh, NXT star Danny Palmer, she underwent double hip replacement at age 25. Ooh. So Palmer's a former gymnast. 
Uh, she was set to team with Sol Ruka, you'll remember, months ago, only for Sol to tear her ACL. So just a disastrous turn of events for both of them. With Palmer, an injury like this, it's almost surely from her gymnastics career, her collegiate career. This is not something that happens from wrestling, especially not for a year. Uh, she did acrobatics and tumbling at Baylor, so I'm assuming it's just continued issues from that. Whether she goes on as a wrestler with double hip replacement, I mean, that remains to be seen. Wish her the best. She was a spark plug in the bit we saw her, and her and Ruka teaming together seemed like it was something. Both of them injured, both of them out for an extended period of time. We'll see what happens when they came, come back. I just Ish. wanted to mention that. Yeah, no, she was at the tryout that I covered uh, in Dallas at WrestleMania 22, so I watched her probably flipping all over the place, and get I would assume. Yeah, yeah get better. Well, no, they, they don't do that at the tryouts. Oh, they okay. just run the rope and take some bumps because they don't. Obviously, most people don't know what they're doing. Um, but no, she she was energy. She was great, athletic. They loved her. Um, so it's it was really cool. I went when I went to NXT in the summer. Um, she had a match, you know, and I within a year, you know, she was wrestling on TV, and it was really really cool to see what she was doing. And shoot, that's a brutal um, injury, surgery, whatever you want to call it. Uh, hope hope she can get back because she uh, she's a, a spark plug. I just don't know how you're an athlete and operate with that, but maybe you do. I- I don't know. It, it just sounds rough as hell. So it felt bad for her. felt like it was worth mentioning here. And lastly, look, before we get fully into the show, I wanted to point out two things about Raw on Monday night. First, just how uniquely, Chris, intriguing and intention grabbing it was of an episode. It's not often I find myself sitting and listening intently to every word being said during a wrestling show. And I left Raw wishing that it had been for a better, more exciting reason that I was doing that. You know what I mean? But it was nevertheless somewhat captivating to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we said on our big Cody Roman rock instant reaction on Friday that we're, we're interested to see what happens on raw. Like we have a lot of questions. You add in everything that happened over the weekend. And it was like, how are, how are these things going to be addressed? So you pay attention to what commentary says, you pay attention to what the crowd says. Mm-hmm. You were paying more intent react paying more intently attention than we normally do i i was in the same boat i didn't start the show live i was at the cfp meeting here but um i was doing the same thing and the other thing i wanted to point out you mentioned it was the crowd it was simultaneously stay with me here excellent and poor okay excellent in that it popped for promos it chanted for cody rhodes it chanted against the rock in all the right spots And they did it without hurting the other performers or their matches. They didn't take over the show. They took over in the appropriate parts. But it was poor in that it was notably quiet for nearly every single match on the show. I can't remember watching a crowd less interested in the action and more interested in the promos than I ever have this crowd in St. Louis. And what makes it even more interesting is that it is a St. Louis crowd. It's a Midwestern crowd. Normally, they really care about the professional wrestling. They're not smarky. This isn't Chicago or Philadelphia or New York or or Atlanta, any other major city. I'm not saying St. Louis isn't a major city, but it's a Midwestern major city. It's a little bit different. They're calmer, you know, at least from my uh, history watching wrestling on TV. I just kind of figured that was all worth a mention here so we can put into context what happened over the course of Raw Monday night. Yeah, I, I just I wondered if the crowd was in the same boat we were, which was 
I don't care about the matches. I just want to know what's happening with Cody. Right. (laughs) Maybe. And so like a a match is kind of a a way to kind of sit down and pay less attention until the next promo segment. And then there could be something else going on. It, it, It was a unique crowd in that sense. It definitely was. All right. That was a ton that we already discussed, but we still have folks a ton left for you today. The good, the bad and the ugly is coming up. We hope we make it to the last word, but we got to kick off this show, at least the meat of this show, as we always do, by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. Now, obviously, this entire segment will be continued coverage of the Cody Rhodes, Rock, Roman Reigns controversy as it pertains to WrestleMania 40. Now, look, we hit you with an in-depth instant reaction podcast immediately after SmackDown went off the air on Friday. We shared our thoughts in the moment, seeing it as a Paul Levesque booking decision, and we covered most of the bases, the change being asinine in totality, the segment itself making Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins, and the World Heavyweight Championship look terrible, the lack of any semblance of logic in Cody giving up his spot to The Rock. We covered all that. And we also discussed not only how insane this decision was on its own, but how it could be salvaged and all the avenues WWE might potentially take creatively based only on what we knew Friday night. And we have a lot more to discuss here. But before we get to all of the details, Chris, I wanted to share an overarching thought that I don't think we quite mentioned Friday. How much of a shame is it that we have wanted Roman Reigns versus The Rock for years now, predating the bloodline even, but particularly since the start of the bloodline during the pandemic. And they had so many opportunities to do it, only to make this move at the exact wrong time, in the exact wrong situation, all at the expense of Cody Rhodes, who is the company's top babyface over the last two years. In almost any other scenario, people would be losing their collective shit that we're getting Reigns and Rock. And instead, they took not just the worst time to do it, but the worst possible avenue to do it at the expense of Cody. And now we as viewers are forced to deal with this absolute bullshit scenario that has sucked the air both out of this legitimately historic match. Michael Cole on Monday night called it match of the century. It probably is. Like it's fair to make that comparison in the WWE world and a tentpole WrestleMania 40, because they did it at this time in this way, they've hurt that match, they've hurt Cody Rhodes, and they've hurt WrestleMania all simultaneously. It, it, it's bizarre, and, and that was the biggest thing we said Friday again, is that none of this makes sense. And The Rock is on the Pat McAfee show months ago and says, we almost did Rock Roman at WrestleMania in L.A., but we couldn't make the story right. And we're only going to do it if we're going to tell one of the greatest stories ever, essentially. And that's completely not what they did here. They told no story here. They just threw him in there. And that's why I think it's just been so frustrating and insulting to fans is that you asked us to believe and be patient with Cody Rhodes, especially after what happened last year. Mm -hmm. And we did. And then we get here and the rock just comes in. Like I, We'll get it. We're going to get into this a lot more. I just I don't understand how they thought it would work. Exactly. Or be fine or, or, or not get a big reaction. Yes. People love the rock. Yes. He's going to get a big reaction. 
in a pop every time he shows up, the next time he shows up on SmackDown or whatever it is. But as whatever segment he does goes along, is that is that going to change? This is good for nobody. Like people can say, oh, Cody's got even more support now. Now WWE knows how much they love Cody Rhodes. He won the Royal <laughs> Rumble two years in a row and main event of WrestleMania last year. Like, He's the top merchandise seller. Very- He's the top merchandise seller. Yes. He's d- saving the ratings yes. by being on television. He, he's so, doing everything yes, they need is, him to do already. This is yes. This is not yeah. Daniel Bryan. Daniel Correct. Bryan was was being buried low on the card, not getting wasn't even in that Royal Rumble. Cody Rhodes won two straight Royal Rumbles. That's why this is so bizarre and strange. Why people are reacting the way they do, because you gave us everything you would typically do only to swap at the last minute. Yeah, totally. Now, like I said, We've tackled this topic through Friday night. And if you missed, and I don't think many of you did, looking at the number of listeners and downloads that we have on that episode, but if anyone missed that instant reaction show to Rock, Cody, and Roman, please listen to that in the archives. You don't want to miss our immediate takes to it. But obviously now, Monday Night Raw has come and gone, which means we have seen the next steps for Cody and this storyline as a whole. But before we even get into that, we need to discuss everything that happened over the 70 hours between the end of SmackDown and the start of Raw. And that starts with reporting, combining news updates from PW Insider and Fightful, a little bit of Wrestling Observer mixed in here. Here are the bullet points of what we learned over the weekend. Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes was planned to main event night two of WrestleMania for months and really the entire last year as getting over reported last week and as mentioned previously. The Rock was the one who pushed to take Cody's spot and change the booking. But not only did he push for it, TKO executives all above Paul Levesque backed him. The idea behind the push, the excuse, if you want a reason for that, is that the move would quote unquote save WrestleMania. And that's amid CM Punk getting injured and Brock Lesnar obviously being unavailable for the Vince McMahon stuff. And it would help WWE create a headline that pushes the Vince McMahon stuff out of the news. It's also unconfirmed that The Rock had wrestling over the next year as part of that $30 million TKO contract we've discussed previously. He has said numerous times, This match should only happen at WrestleMania, and he wanted it as soon as possible. So 40 instead of 41, again, according to the reporting. Despite the way this transpired, The Rock apparently is not doing this out of malice for Cody. And apparently, The Rock has even pitched beating Reigns in this match. Furthermore, Brian Gerwitz, who became The Rock's personal writer in WWF and has glommed on to him for basically his entire post-WWE career, including as writer for Young Rock. Apparently, he's going to serve as The Rock's voice during the creative process and attend major events, basically the role that Paul Heyman serves for Roman. Now, some suggest that this move could lead to Gerwitz being in place to take over WWE creative entirely if a move needs to be made from Levesque amid the McMahon lawsuit, which is only going to become messier, and we don't know if he has or does not have any involvement in that, and hopefully he doesn't for his sake, his family's sake, and really for our sake as professional wrestling fans, Uh, and also women's sake as well, obviously. Uh, Also included in all of this reporting was that the plan is to do Cody versus Seth Rollins four for the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania. So 
That is a lot to take in right there. Let's address it starting with The Rock stepping in and making this push. It is an absolute fucking joke and a travesty. This is a guy who at every opportunity puts over WWE talking about how much he loves the company and loves the wrestling industry, how much he reveres today's wrestlers, how much he wants to give back to the business and how much doing the right thing for the business matters and is what his entire career has always been about. How many times did they mention that in the Young Rock show alone? That's the guy pulling this move, one that is so shady and so egocentric that it surely makes even Hulk Hogan jealous. But this is so much worse than anything Hogan or anyone else has done in terms of wrestling creative. That's an important clarification. Rock is basically doing a hostile takeover of creative before WWE's biggest show of the year while having the ego to not only insert himself into a signature match, but do it at the detriment of the son from one of wrestling's other royal families with whom he has no beef and claims to only have love. The utter hypocrisy of this man to stroke his ego in this way. And if he actually beats Reigns and all the juice from this historic three-year title reign only winds up putting over The Rock of all people, one of the most popular superstars of all time, one of the biggest stars in the world, instead of a guy in Cody who is literally WWE's next John Cena and could actually use that rub, which has been designed for multiple years. If The Rock forces them to use that momentum to serve his career and his ego, holy fuck, that would be even worse. I mentioned the utter hypocrisy of The Rock, the utter greed and immense stupidity of Ari Emanuel, maybe Nick Khan, Mark Shapiro, Shapiro, or whoever was on the TKO board that backed Rock's push, not only somehow not having their fingers on the pulse of the fans, those that have been fueling WWE to record business, but simultaneously not understanding that Levesque's creative and Cody's two-year-long story alongside this extended four-year-long bloodline story It's the backbone of this success. Save WrestleMania? It didn't need saving. Not to this degree. Shame on these idiots for trying to treat WrestleMania like it's a UFC pay-per-view where you can just throw a random star in the main event and everyone's happy about it because they have name value. It is so concerning that Friday was just 143 days into TKO's ownership of WWE and just a week into Vince McMahon having resigned as executive chairman. And these people are already meddling in creative to the point that, let me repeat, they changed the main event of WrestleMania and they did it either right before or right after the Royal Rumble. I know everyone jumped to blaming creative. We did exactly that because that's all we knew Friday night. And let me also be clear, even despite the change in plans being horrible on its own, the creative was perhaps even worse Friday night because it was nonsensically done without a shred of logic particularly Roman's promo, but even what Cody did, it was a betrayal of his character, handing an opportunity Mm -hmm. at the WWE title to someone else. That's just ridiculous. And we're not gonna excuse that at all. But this decision was clearly at least initiated above Levesque's head. And that's just completely absurd to take well-laid plans of the chief content officer and flush them down the toilet. Again, Cody won. He pointed at the sign. He pointed and screamed at Roman Reigns. He already made his choice. And they still had him give it up after the fact. And not only that, Chris, they're allowing Dwayne Johnson, the guy whose ego 
Hurt the Fast franchise, whose ego destroyed Black Adam and DC Films. You can probably speak to that more than I can. They're allowing that guy to use WWE as a last-ditch effort to save his immensely damaged brand. I haven't even talked about the Oprah stuff. Oh, that's a whole nother story. But it's not even happening within the system properly to everyone's delight. He's doing this and he's trying to overtake the system. He could have had this match at any time and helped WWE when they needed him. WWE tried to make this happen over and over again. There were pitches over years for them to do this match. All of those times when it would have helped WWE and been totally beloved by the fans. Every time he said no. Now he's only saying yes to help himself. And he's so blinded by his ego that he's choosing the one time where it hurts the fans and it might long-term hurt the company as well. This whole situation is patently absurd. It's maddening. And as far as Dwayne Johnson is concerned, he's the absolute worst type of egomaniacal hypocrite. And that is now fully exposed within the one safe haven it appeared he had left. The one place where he was loved unconditionally, he's literally burning his bridge with WWE fans because they welcomed him back all these times with opened arms and he just shoved them out of the picture saying, I don't care what you want. This is all about what I want. How selfish, how far up your own ass do you have to be to think that making a play of this magnitude would go over well with wrestling fans? The funniest part of all of this is that it is literally the corporate rock storyline from 1998. <laughs> When he teamed with the leaders of the corporation to get into the Survivor Series tournament and win it, uh, thanks to Shane McMahon screwing him, and he was corporate rock. Like, literally, he's doing that storyline in real life and thinking he's the good guy. I, I, I just, I don't understand it. The DC Films thing you mentioned, in fairness to The Rock, he did not destroy DC Films. DC Films was always a mess. However, they had hoped Black Adam, his character, and everything could be a, a spark to kind of fix it because he's the if rock you're not familiar with if yeah if you're not familiar with dc comics black adam is a villain of shazam however they had uh the rock as black adam be kind of an anti-hero guy and not involved with shazam at all the rocks people pushed to get superman to make a cameo at the, at the end of it because the rock wants to fight superman they went above a lot of dc people to the head of wb to pitch Black Adam doing all these different things and having a big thing with Superman, which ruffled a lot of feathers. Um, there were rumors, reports that the movie lost money and The Rock apparently put out some information uh, about, the about the movie to show it was profitable, but it was stuff that kind of the studio was surprised that he put out. And so he's he's done this before where, where his ego, reaction to things, he's got to get certain narratives out there. This, this is the, like, you could make a case nobody focuses on their brand more than The Rock. Mm -hmm. Like even more than Taylor Swift. This is the guy who drives around his neighborhood to do surprise appearances at tour buses and stuff like that and take videos in his car. It's the guy who's lied about how many times he said in and out for the first time. <laughs> he got called out on it mm -hmm. a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Ago, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. This is the guy whose publicist called Logan Paul to remove everything logan paul had of the two of them after the 
terrible suicide forest stuff that Logan Paul did um, back in 2017 or something like that. Like this guy cares about his brand so much to the point where in most of his public appearances, he doesn't even sound like a real person half the time. And, and that's why I cannot believe they made this decision. And I can't imagine what he's thinking right now because every single post that he makes is getting flamed all the way to hell by, 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 by people online and all kinds of things saying, we want Cody. Why would you do this? Everybody online is mad at the rock right now, which is like the number one thing he never wants to happen. Right. I don't understand how they didn't have the foresight that this would happen. He did make a post, uh, one, one over the weekend, which was thanking Cody for being great and for the house. And he said like, PS, I've got tough skin and, and yada, yada. But like, man, this dude is getting wrecked in the wrestling world where mm -hmm. he had kind of gotten a lot of that in the movie world where he'd had a lot of movies that weren't the hits that people thought they were going to be. Oh, there was another, I forgot. There was another mini thing with the, he was in that DC super pets movie and he wanted a producer role, uh, even though he didn't really do any of the producing on it, according to variety at the time. So it's a guy who's always wanted to have his hand in a lot of things and be loved by everybody. And he's getting destroyed right now. He can't be happy about it. His people can't be happy about it. And I can't imagine they, I can't, I'm stunned that they didn't think that would happen. And you can't, I know some people are saying, oh, this might be a work, yada, yada, yada. No, like they might fix it. There is no world in which I believe The Rock signed himself up to just get destroyed and trolled online nonstop to the point where his daughter is even getting a lot of nasty comments, which people should absolutely not be doing. But this is really bad for The Rock's brand right now, which is his whole thing. Yeah, it's almost shocking how little a guy who claims to have fully understood the wrestling business, both the ins and outs, both when he was in it and out of it as a he grew up in it. I mean, let's not get it twisted. Like the stories in Young Rock may be exaggerated to a degree. And, and certainly when he's around all these guys all the time. But he grew up in the wrestling business. He comes from a wrestling family. His family is still in the wrestling business, obviously, the entire bloodline. For him to not know and understand that stepping on Cody and forcing himself into this situation would lead to backlash is all time dumb. It's very similar. And I didn't mention it. And I don't know all the exact details, but like what he did with Oprah, where they cut that video about people donating to the Maui fund for the wildfires. And everyone's like, you guys are billionaires. Why don't you just send a lot of money to it? Why are you asking us to send $5? Give them hundreds of thousands. You can do it yourself. So it's just this, it's this ego. It's this mindset of everything that I do because it's me is right. And you're all going to like it. And yes, you mentioned the work. I was going to talk about that a little bit later, Chris, but no, this is not a work. Okay. If the storyline was a work in totality, that would mean that the plan from the onset would have been purposefully making fans mad over the idea of Reigns Rock, purposefully making Rock yeah. look like a bad guy, purposefully taking yeah. away Cody's agency in his own storyline and actively leaking false inside information to multiple major wrestling media outlets, all to the end of trying to make Cody look like an underdog, despite him already being the top babyface in the company. That's nonsensical. It would be some of the shoddiest and stupidest booking in the history of professional wrestling if this was a work from the start. My reason for pointing that out is that if WWE pivots, you need to understand that does not mean it was always a work. It means they're turning a shoot into a work as a response to fan sentiment. 
Those are two completely different things. Now, the second part to discuss from the reporting was Brian Gerwitz, Gewertz, I always get that wrong, and his role on WWE Creative. This is a frightening proposition, Chris. It's something that I'm going to take a beat on, at least right now, for this reason. If Paul Levesque had any involvement in the McMahon situation, and a change ultimately has to be made, then we can cross that bridge when we get to it. It would obviously be a completely necessary, while simultaneously unfortunate, uh, move for them to make given how strong WWE creative has been as of late. But if nothing happens to Triple H in that regard, and hopefully it does not, the idea of Levesque at a minimum having the TKO board occasionally pulling strings and stomping on his creative to at a maximum having Gerwertz fully interfere in his plans or pushing him out of the company entirely, that could go from occasionally frustrating to completely disastrous. There's just still too little to know at this early juncture to make any full-on statement about it. But again, TKO backing The Rock and forcing a move this big is immensely concerning. And I would really hope that these guys are mature enough, and I'm talking about The Rock and Triple H here, where this is not some long-held disdain from The Rock over the click, trying to hold him down 30 years ago, where now he has power, he's on the board, and he's gonna kick Triple H out of this company. Like, again, if there's a reason for it, fine. Uh, and even if there is, putting Gewertz in that chair is not good. I mean, that is disastrous long-term for WWE. So I just wanted to say that as a brief aside. I don't know if you have any thoughts on him. I know you read his book, but yeah, I mean, he was yeah, it, head of creative it, it, under Vince McMahon for 15 years. He had some good moments. He did some good stuff with The Rock. It's 2024. I've seen everything that he's done or not seen everything he's done, but I'm aware of everything he's done since he left WWE. And none of that would make me happy or excited that he would be back in creative at all, let alone possibly taking it over if a disastrous situation occurs. Yeah, it, it is a good book, by the way. There's just one problem is what it's called. Uh, I got it for Christmas. Very easy read. Good insight into what it's like being a writer at WWE. I actually found it really um, interesting and and everything I've heard about him and seen him in interviews seems like a nice guy and everything like that. But but yeah, unless you have to make a change with creative for the reasons that you said, the, the Vince fallout, which we haven't talked about much since, but we just kind of got to wait for more to happen. It's obviously still going on. Um, it, it would be a massive change and a surprising change for a guy who has been doing stuff with The Rock and Hollywood and, and all kinds of things. So um that is concerning as well. I will say at least, you know, he was the head of creative for a long time. He's a guy who knows how WWE, the process works and stuff like that. But also he was very close to Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. And that's probably not something you want either at this juncture, right. you know, as, as well. Obviously not as close as Triple H's, but there's a lot of praise for Vince McMahon in his book. And that's not exactly what you want right now either. That's a really good point. And I think a lot of times people will think, oh, well, it's someone who's not with the company coming in. So that's cool because we're cleaning house. doesn't mean if they were there before for 15 years, they could certainly have their own issues as well. So, you know, we're not casting any dispersions here. Simply saying, look, Levesque is doing a great job making any creative change unless one is mandatory should not happen. And the fact that they're even intervening to this degree is concerning. And that's really what I was trying to say. Now, the third part from the reporting to discuss, obviously, is what happens to Cody and what happened Monday night to possibly advance his story. We're going to circle back to that in a moment. 
because that's storyline related and plenty else happened over the weekend, particularly on social media. You know, Chris, we speak about the IWC sometimes as if it's a small corner of wrestling fandom. It's certainly not fully representative of the casual fan, but 2024 is not 2004. Most everyone is constantly online now and WWE has made it where you need to follow or at least occasionally check social media to fully embrace the product. So back to that idea that part of the Reigns Rock move was meant to distract from the McMahon news. Spoiler alert, it's not going to. That story is a runaway freight train and every twist or turn or news story that comes out is going to reignite the news cycle. Think about Me Too, think about Harvey Weinstein, how every new detail became a new story and its own news cycle. That's exactly what's gonna happen with Vince McMahon. All WWE accomplished was doubling down on the negative press because Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, TikTok, and even beyond social media, traditional media, was ablaze this weekend. The YouTube videos are the two most downvoted in WWE history. I think you told me one of them has more than a half a million downvotes, which is like, I think two or three times the prior record for a WWE video. Hashtag we want Cody was the number one trend on Twitter all day Saturday. And I saw it at number five on Sunday night. Current and former wrestlers, celebrities, Logan Paul, they all tweeted their support of Cody. Even Monday, you had George Kittle at the Super Bowl talk about how he wanted Cody in that match with Roman Reigns and he'd be okay if Rock was there helping as a enforcer or something else that we've discussed, but he wanted Cody in that match. Hundreds of thousands of fans brigaded tweets and posts with comments. The Rock tried and failed to play damage control with some tweets of his own. He even said the crowd reaction to him was undeniable. I mean, that's like twisting the knife. Why would you do that unless it was a work, which I doubt. Again, I just think he's that egotistical where he doesn't realize what he's doing. I mean, look, The Rock is not about to try and save face in Hollywood by making himself a bad guy in WWE. Gewurz even tweeted and kind of antagonized some fans. It was a wild experience, Chris, being online this weekend. But this is a major problem. And you mentioned this a little bit ago. The yes movement was something of a groundswell, but that was over an extended period from a largely disillusioned group of fans during a time where it didn't seem like WWE could do anything right creatively and did not give a shit about their fans. This, this is from a passionate supermajority during a period in which WWE is the hottest it has been this century. Also, Daniel Bryan was someone who legitimately got screwed over by creative thinking he couldn't lead the charge of the top babyface. Cody is already the top babyface. He can't actually get any hotter than he's been. And he just won the fucking Royal Rumble for the second year in a row while having the backing of creative. He's getting fucked over by The Rock in reality. The situations are not even comparable or comparable, despite some similarities. It was such a bad decision and such bad booking in every possible facet. And fans have simply decided they're not going to accept it. And you know what? More power to them. WWE and Triple H, they built Cody into the heir apparent for Cena. I'm not saying he's ever going to be as big or especially as successful outside WWE. I highly doubt that part. But he is a top flight babyface, a white meat babyface, the guy who waves the American flag and kisses babies and does charity and is simply over as hell. 
And the best part of all of that, it's authentic. This is what he wants to be. I mean, he is so wildly popular and WWE has done such a good job building him to this level of popularity, even despite his creative being stale at times. That makes this even more mind numbing. Seeing all of this, I could only think it was so immensely short-sighted and illogical. WWE's momentum was on such a ridiculous upswing where it was not only pulling further away from its wrestling competition, it was making major notoriety gains in the Hollywood and media landscape all of a sudden. Business was picking up again, pun intended. The literal last thing that WWE should have done was make a creative change of this magnitude when the product is as hot as ever, especially one where they're thumbing their noses at the fans that have allowed them to become this popular again, in large part because they've bought into the creative they have been given, especially one where there are now two part-timers in the main event of their biggest show, at least we think. It's gonna be great to see Rock and Reigns on TV twice over the next eight weeks leading into the big show. WWE took their most accepting crowd in decades. Fans that will go along with pretty much anything. And let me be clear, that is not a criticism at all. That's what every wrestling company wants. WWE took that crowd, which doesn't protest champ, which accepted the Sami Zayn loss, which accepted the Jey Uso loss, which even accepted Cody's loss at WrestleMania 39 because it was confident he would finish the story at WrestleMania 40. It took that crowd and said, fuck you and fuck your feelings. The trust that was built over about 18 months has largely been eroded in 72 hours. And that is just so mind-numbingly dumb, so short-sighted, Chris, and so completely unacceptable. You and I have talked about many times on this show that WWE finally had the crowd it always wanted. It no longer had those fans that would hijack shows and beach balls and all those various things because they had a lot of them had left for AEW. They had found the alternative. That's great. And as a result, they would get the chance that they wanted. They'd get the people over that they wanted. And it was all working great. And then you have this Cody thing. And now you've pissed off those fans, the ones who were doing all the things you wanted them to do. There's there's an editor at The Athletic I work with. He had subscribed to Peacock to watch the Rumble. He was like, it's WrestleMania. I'll get back into wrestling, see how it's going. And he was flabbergasted at the rock situation. He's like, is that what the fans want? We just saw Cody. I just got back in. Cody won the rumble. And now they're telling me he's out of it. Like this doesn't make any sense. I said this on the Friday show. This isn't just people online being like, no, I want my favorite guy to get the spot. Cody is the favorite superstar among kids. How are parents supposed to supposed to explain to their kid why Cody just gave up his spot at WrestleMania because he didn't give an explanation. And it just it it doesn't make any sense in that point. And, and to the to the larger point, not larger point, but the thing you mentioned about the idea that WWE needed a distraction from the Vince lawsuit, which is horrific as we've talked about mm-hmm. and, and, and will continue to go on. Like you said, that's not going away. The lawyer has made public statements. John Laurinaitis is now saying he was a victim. Uh, the the there could be more NDAs that are unenforceable that people come out. The lawyer for the woman has said we want. Uh, more women to come out and be be allowed to come out like this isn't going away and it's just such a short-term thinking for like a week for no reason whatsoever and i also want to address there are 
wrestling fans online who think who think people are being worked in the sense that oh you're upset about Cody so now you're not upset about Vince this is exactly what WWE wanted don't forget about this blah 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 people can hold two <laughs> things in their head at yes. the same time yes you can be upset about the Vince thing and upset about the Cody thing and talk about one without mentioning the other and it not be the end of the world I don't what are fans supposed to do to go go to shows and chant we want the lawsuit to move faster like <laughs> I, I that's a that's a process that is playing out. Vince right. is gone. More people could be gone. There are unnamed executives in that lawsuit who we need more answers about and we will get. I just so I just I just wanted to address that because I started to see a lot of that over the weekend too. Oh, the, the, the Cody thing worked because now they're not talking about Vince. That's not it's a very disgusting, disheartening, terrible thing that people don't want to talk about, you know, like it's we'll not get to it when it's when not just that they happens. don't want to talk about they like, you made the point a second ago. They can't affect it. You as a viewer, right. as a fan, cannot affect the Vince McMahon, Janelle Grant lawsuit or anything that's going to come. There's federal investigation. There's a civil suit. Those things will transpire in the court of law. And we, you know, you and I will discuss them here and fans can discuss them online all they want when those, you know, tentpole events as part of this process transpire. But on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, there's literally nothing that any of us can do. Whereas when we see the product that we're invested in materially change right in front of us and the fans know they have affected change previously through online campaigns or just complaining or whatever the case might be, they feel a groundswell of opportunity to go and do that. WWE, let's be very clear about this. They wanted to distract from the Vince McMahon thing, let's say that was part of it, with The Rock and Roman Reigns and that being such positive news that fans would love it and be supportive of WWE and excited for WrestleMania. They didn't do it to create another negative story that would bump that one off the page. That's 3D media relations and public relations. And WWE doesn't operate that way, nor would The Rock allow himself, and I already said all of this, to look bad, nor would WWE sacrifice their top babyface just to change the headlines as part of the news cycle, when again, those headlines are going to come back anyway. Yes, and we have this press event on Thursday. I don't know who's going to be there, if they're going to take questions, if Triple H will take questions. If Triple H is, takes questions and he is not asked anything more about the Vince thing, then yeah, that's something to be upset about the reporters. Sure, agreed. But, 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 but we don't know yet. Like we'll, we'll get to that. There's nothing else. My point was there's nothing else fans can do at this point. Correct. And they can hold two things in their head at the same time. It's it, it, One, they can be totally separate things you have feelings about. That does not impact... It should not impact the way people feel about the story that they've been given over the last two years. The, the terrible things can happen in the NFL, and you can still have an opinion on what your team did on Absolutely. Sunday. Absolutely. You know, like, they're, they're different things. You, the Ray Rice situation happened. People booed him and hated him and wanted him off the team, rightly so, and all that type of stuff. But that didn't mean they were going to stop cheering for the Ravens. They still had their team. Yeah. He didn't. It wasn't the Ravens that did that. You know what I mean? So that's the same situation here. I mean, obviously much worse in this case, but still what Ray Rice did was terrible. It's not even yeah. meaning to compare it at all, obviously. Um, but you're you're right. We can have, everyone's intelligent enough, and you don't even have to be intelligent, to have more than one thought in your head at the same time. And people going on these campaigns on social media like, oh, now no one cares about this. You guys are all terrible because you stopped thinking about it. No, everyone's thinking about it. Everyone understands what happened. I mean, we did an instant you know, reaction show to it, just as us as an example. And that was, again, one of our most listened to shows. People care. And we're going to continue talking about it. And people are going to continue tweeting about it. However, what's happening right now is a material change 
to WrestleMania 40, screwing over Cody Rhodes, involving The Rock, and people aren't happy, and they're allowed not to be happy about that. They voiced that, and like I said, the 70 hours between SmackDown on Friday and Raw on Monday, Chris, I cannot remember seeing any type of groundswell in professional wrestling like that. We had Give Divas a Chance, obviously. We had Kofi Mania that was more drawn out, and they really took that into a big work, you know, as the process unfolded. And of course, the Yes Movement. But those all pale in comparison to this We Want Cody, Rocky Suck situation. And we saw that transpire Monday night. So am I cool to kind of move into Raw and start talking about what happened on the yes, show? Yes, we, we can finally talk about what actually happened yeah. on Monday Night Raw. Let's yes. talk about some wrestling. But we're not off this topic because this topic was so threaded throughout Raw on Monday night. So just like we did with this 70 hours between shows, we're going to tackle this in parts as well. So Rollins opened Raw after a SmackDown video package that did not cut out anything from Friday's main event except Cody looking sad. That part was cut out. There were actually boos in the crowd coming out of that video package. Seth sarcastically referred to Reigns' big pop comment twice as the fans serenaded him, showing, of course, that the fans do love him. Fans then booed a reference to SmackDown. They just mentioned SmackDown, they booed. And they chanted for Cody as some uh, we want Cody signs were shown in the crowd. Now, let me make something clear. I saw people tweeting that these were WWE planted signs. That is demonstrably false. There were two sets of signs. One handmade by a fan. He posted photos of himself making them. He made like dozens of them. And then paper signs, kind of like uh, the Cesaro section signs from back in the day that someone literally just printed like 100 copies on their computer and passed them out to people. They also took pictures and put them on social media. These were real signs, not WWE planted. I see people claiming that over and over again. Simply not true. Rollins said, clearly the fans want Cody. He does as well. Fans start booing. And he has questions, so he called him out to the ring. Rhodes made his entrance. He took his time coming down as Michael Cole talked about Cody trending for three days. Loud chants once the song ended. After he asked, what do you want to talk about? The fans chanted, Rocky sucks. Then we want Cody. And then Rocky sucks again. Again, let me repeat, this was St. Louis, middle America, not a smirk city, with two Rocky sucks chants and plenty of booze in the opening segment. Rollins reiterated what he said about his title, saying he needs the match as much as Rhodes does because he needs to know he's better given the result of their first meetings. He then asked point blank whether Cody would fight him at WrestleMania. The crowd booed and chanted no. Then Drew McIntyre interrupted. All this time, by the way, Cody's not really speaking. He hasn't said anything. McIntyre said he took out CM Punk so he could challenge Rollins at WrestleMania and showed off a t-shirt that he made, which is now for sale on WWE Shop. And if you want to support yeah. getting over, we tweeted it with a link. Click that link, buy the shirt. It is a great shirt. You should buy it. Uh, but you can also support us while doing that. I'll get back to what we were talking about. Uh, he asked why Seth had to get inside Cody's head, pandering to Rhodes that he needed to finish his story and he couldn't let everyone down, including his dad. People thought McIntyre was being a face here. He was being a sarcastic heel. He was trying to play into Cody's mind here. Uh, Rollins called him a prick, reminding that he's 2-0 against him, so he wouldn't even deserve a title match. McIntyre reminded that Cody is 3-0 against Rollins and put Seth over for his title reign. Then he dropped this awesome freaking line. Oh, you know what happens in Roman's matches? No one wants to fight for it anymore because we know the finish. His family are going to interfere every single time. 
That was part of McIntyre's pitch during this entire segment. McIntyre then drilled Rollins with a Glasgow kiss and got taken out by Cody to end it. So that was the opening segment. That went 20 minutes. Midway through Raw, Cole said The Rock's appearance on SmackDown was controversial and asked, pondered, whether the match would officially be made, perhaps even at WrestleMania. The crowd also booed during a video package that recapped Rock-related headlines from the weekend. And then this happened during Cody's entrance for the main event of the show. Hashtag we want Cody has trended worldwide for three days now. And it all has to do with a match that hasn't even been announced yet. Will Roman Reigns face The Rock at WrestleMania? Will Cody Rhodes face Seth Rollins at WrestleMania? We hope to get those answers this coming Thursday at the press event in Las Vegas. But Pat, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this situation. The emotional response from the WWE Universe is because this man right here has earned the love and support of every human that watches professional wrestling with the way he goes about doing his business. He epitomizes professional wrestling. So that's the intro to the match. And then during the match, Cole asked what Cody meant Friday night and heavily put over a Reigns Rock match as a potential match of the century. Cole said he wasn't sure how we could go wrong, no matter what happens booking wise. Cody also tweeted during the show, quote, appreciate the passion. God bless y'all, but trust me. So let's go ahead and wrap up all of this and put a bow on it. And then we'll talk about the other stuff that transpired on Raw and then kind of, again, wrap it up with a bow in terms of what we expect from Thursday. Now, the best possible news coming out of the opening segment and Raw in totality is that Rollins Rhodes was not announced for WrestleMania. But the problem is that Reigns Rock also hasn't been announced. And the reason for that may be nothing more than the fact that they want to make both official at the press conference on Thursday. The whole 20-minute opener was about recognizing fan sentiment between the chants, the real signs, the way Cole and Pat McAfee spoke about Cody, and the promos from all three of them in the ring. Although, again, I'll repeat, Cody didn't really speak. He didn't even have a chance to challenge or not challenge. And that was purposeful. It seemed like they were leaning into all of this, the We Want Cody stuff. But leaning into it and pivoting are two entirely different deals. It was strange that WWE made it seem like Cody got shafted in character when he actually gave up his spot willingly in KFA. Yes, yes. Which is why that creative did not work on Friday. And really, there was nothing here that offered proof, Chris, that a pivot was coming. If anything, it felt like they were setting up for a World Heavyweight Championship triple threat in the opening segment. Still, the Rocky Sucks chants in particular were music to my ears. There were kids doing it as well. And that, plus the booze, happened throughout the entire show. If there's not a pivot, hopefully those continue and The Rock's potential last run in WWE gets tied not just to his ego, but a failed attempt to distract from the McMahon stuff. You could also see that Cody was legitimately touched and emotional from the crowd response. We'll get back to his emotion later, but it almost seemed like he was trying to hide a smirk on his face in the opener, the way that they were rallying behind him. Now, that's the reality 
of all of that stuff that we just discussed. The kayfabe of it was another strong promo from McIntyre, who continues to operate on an entirely different level right now than everyone else. He might be the best overall character in WWE at the moment. And obviously there was some intriguing stuff from Cody and Seth there as well. It's just with this being the only show before the press event, not having a clear pivot on Cody makes it concerning that they are not wavering at all. The opening segment was play it safe. McIntyre was the star and the way he was able to sell his feigned concern for Cody, that was exceptionally well done. He also popped me with, there was a moment where like Cody tried to speak and he stopped him. And it was almost like a Cartman, can I finish? Can I finish? Like type of moment in the middle of the segment. So please go ahead, say whatever you want about the opener and all those different references during the show. It, what happened on Raw, it felt like a holding pattern mm-hmm. um, in that they may just may not have made decisions yet. With, with WWE, with pro wrestling, you know, we always say anything you see on TV, you're supposed to see. You know, it's not real sports. And so we analyze that stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, they did show some we want. They did. They did show some we want Cody chance. Michael Cole acknowledged the Rocky Sucks chance by saying, oh, it's 1996 again. Mm-hmm. And so th- they they mentioned it being controversial, but not saying why. And so I don't know if because it's the Triple H era, potentially because Triple H is maybe mad about the decision that was made, if uh, they leaned into it on purpose, if they just wanted to lean into it just enough to acknowledge but not change anything. Exactly. Yep. I don't know. We're not going to know. We're not going to know maybe ever or at least till what happens on Thursday. But they, they, they you're right that they never addressed it in kayfabe. And, and, and that was the, the problem, because like you said, he voluntarily gave it up. He did. He did not get cheated out of it. The authority didn't keep him down. The Rock didn't tell him not to do it. And we didn't get any answers from Cody. That was on purpose, like you said. And I think it's because. My guess is because they didn't want him to say anything because they don't know what he should say. Possibly. They haven't yeah, decided. Very possible. They, they haven't decided what his, what his reasoning is yet or if they're going to go back on it. And I think that there's a reason we didn't hear from Cody on that. Uh, the, the other thing, I just, when he did his entrance there and Samantha Irvin introduced him was for the match at the beginning of the show, I don't remember which one. And she goes, you're 2023 and 2024 Royal Rumble winner, Cody Rhodes. And I just thought to myself, Man, if you have somebody win back-to-back rumbles only done by Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he doesn't win the WWE Championship out of it, like, man, that sucks. And that really hurts the rumble, and it hurts the investment. You It just really emphasized, like, man, they put this guy on a pedestal with back-to-back rumble wins, and we may only get one WrestleMania loss and then not, uh, not a rematch coming out of it would be just... All salient points right there, completely... Agree with you. Now, we're going to circle back to this topic with our predictions for Thursday's press event in a moment. First, let's talk about the rest of the stuff that happened in the main storyline from Raw. We had Adam Pierce admonish McIntyre backstage, reminding that Rollins is not medically cleared and therefore he's going to get fined. Drew laughed at the contention as Rhea Ripley entered the arena unplanned, which was a nice realistic touch. I mentioned this earlier, just from a production standpoint. Uh, Pierce was just pissed and he's like, what, this isn't supposed to happen right now. And he ran out of the room. And when he did that, McIntyre said, at least there's still one leader here, which was shitting on Pierce, but also was curious who exactly he was referring to. Maybe he was talking about 
Ripley himself, Triple H, not exactly sure. Wouldn't be surprised if that is alluding to something happening eventually. Now we'll talk about Rhea later. She doesn't really fit into this segment, but that was a fun little backstage bit. So that takes us to the main event. Cody against Shinsuke Nakamura in a bull rope match. Now there were a lot of people complaining about this booking online, but despite the Cody and Shin feud wrapping up on TV a few weeks ago, which it did, there was legitimate reason for this. First, Rhodes eliminated Nakamura from the Royal Rumble. It is not unheard of when something like that happens for a match to result from that. Second, they ran a story at a live event this weekend where Shin missed it and attacked Cody backstage. So in a vacuum, doing this match like eight weeks out from WrestleMania, it's not only sensible, but I'm not gonna criticize it at all. Even if it was a rematch, even if we didn't need it, it did make sense in kayfabe. So that's all I'm gonna say. Now, Shinsuke did his taped pre-match promo laughing that Cody thinks the bull rope will give him an advantage when it will all lead to embarrassment. It'll also lead to pain, loss, and shame, he said. Then he added, quote, I see people saying, we want Cody, but no, I want Cody. It was a great promo from Shin. Rhodes got a figure four leg lock with Nakamura using the bell to break it. He later hit Cody Cutter, Dusty's punch combo, the bionic elbow, and a pedigree. Nakamura took half of those properly, the other not so much. Uh, Rhodes got misted going for his finish, but Cody was somehow able to blindly flip Shinsuke over and hit Crossroads anyway for a false finish. So he actually kicked out of it. Shinsuke started using the bell, but Cody blocked Kinshasa and used the rope for two low blows before adding Crossroads the second time for a one, two, three. The crowd was dead and quiet all match, but it popped huge for the finish and the victory. Cole said it was cathartic as a win, that it doesn't change the controversy, but it sure felt good to Cody. McIntyre attacked Rhodes well into his celebration, hitting Claymore to end it. And I should also note, there were very loud Rocky sucks chants during a commercial break of the match, according to a couple of fan videos I saw online. Now the match was solid, but unspectacular bell to bell. It was executed well. It was something they've been working through live events over the last couple of months. The problem is doing a bull rope match without blood and not really using weapons despite being hardcore with it. Like it's a hardcore stipulation. So you should be using tables and chairs and kendo sticks and bull ropes and people should be bleeding. It's one of the situations where like blood is almost expected. And I know they do that with the mist to a degree, but it's just tough to do a match like that and not have it be as hardcore as it should have been. The post-match was great. And we'll talk about what that might mean after you give your two cents on the promos and the match itself. Yeah, match was good. Um, promos were fine. I, I, I read, um, I don't know if you mentioned, but I guess that was the bull rope used between Dusty Rhodes and Superstar Billy Graham. That's what they uh, say. I mean, like, I assume yeah, it's true, but I mean, it looked totally like sure. a, looked like a pretty old rope. But I, it did. I, I don't know, but um, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, again, we didn't hear from Cody. We didn't get much out of it afterward. It just, I keep coming back to, it really sucks now that this is hovering over everything. Like WWE was in such a good place creatively. It had mm -hmm. been so long since a real life you know, booking storyline kind of took over what we talked about. And so like, it goes back to again to the crowd, which I think the crowd just wanted to hear from Cody, wants to know what's next from Cody. They're not as interested in the wrestling because we we want to know what's what this they keep calling it controversy on on, on commentary but it's not a controversy in kayfabe you know <laughs> like he, he he gave it up so i just it, it sucks that this is going to kind of hover over everything until we at least get some sort of finality and even if it, if we don't and cody's not in the main event it's going to continue and i think that just hurts everything across the board uh, including the cody match yeah i think you 
completely nailed it there, no question about it. So let's kind of analyze what we saw on TV and, you know, take nothing else into account right now. At the end of Raw, it seemed to me like they were telegraphing where we're likely headed, which is Rollins, Rhodes, McIntyre, and a triple threat for the World Heavyweight Championship. Otherwise, it would make little sense for Drew to go after Cody. Let's say Rhodes gets rain somehow, and it's Rollins, McIntyre at WrestleMania. You can't have Drew lose to Cody. It would be asinine to do that on the road to the show. He should be winning a huge feud in between now and WrestleMania, if anything. Then the only way to pay this off would be if Drew loses and is not in a title match at all, that does not seem like it's going to be the case. You'd have to either have that happen or Drew somehow beats Cody or it's a triple threat for the title. And that happens because this match is a no contest or a disqualification. Let's say it happens at Elimination Chamber. But it seems silly to get started down the path with McIntyre attacking Rollins and Rhodes on the same show if that's not going to be the WrestleMania match, a triple threat. Surely they're going to do Cody and Drew at Elimination Chamber. That's my point. But neither of those guys can lose if they're going into a title match. That's what I'm really trying to say here. And that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth because look, everyone spent 70 hours steaming over the Cody situation. And rather than Raw just directly telling us, yes, we screwed you, here's the Cody match we're building. With all of the we want Cody references and Cole repeatedly talking about the controversy and the booing and the Rocky sucks and them allowing that to permeate through the screen, it almost feels like they were co-opting the fan sentiment and giving us hope where none may actually exist. And if that's the case, then Thursday's press event might hurt even more than Friday night hurt. And that's almost evil to double down on it and piss people off even more by giving them false hope and then pulling out the rug from underneath them. I know I'm making a lot of assumptions here. I'm only talking about what I could take from Raw on Monday night and then extrapolating that forward. If we go on my theory that they just haven't made a decision yet, it makes sense for Drew and you don't want Cody to talk. It makes sense for Drew to go out there and just interrupt him and attack him because Drew did that the week prior with CM Punk. He's your best heel on the roster. Figure it out a couple days later uh, if that is the possibility. As for the press event, Cody's going to be there. Uh, Rock and Roman are going to be there. Seth's going to be there. I don't know if Drew's going to be there. Um, the, the other part of this match, the possible triple threat world heavyweight championship. Well, before that, actually, it going back to what we said Friday, it makes no sense for him to go after the World Heavyweight Championship. He just told Roman Reigns, that's the belt I want. Right. You know, like, like he 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 told Seth he'd think about it. And then he went and told Roman, that's the belt I want. And I don't want, just want the belt. I want to take everything from you. So it makes, there is no world now that Cody can say, I want to go for the Seth Rollins belt. There, he already said he wants the other belt. This is, the, this is what they've done with the creative and the promo that they did on Wednesday. The other part of this is that we didn't talk about it, but Sami Zayn had a interview promo on this episode of Raw where he talked about being a champion and believing that he can get there. And so he could be in this mix as well. I don't, probably not Fatal 4-Way, but I, I wouldn't rule Sami Zayn out of this whole thing either based on what we got. Yeah, there's more. So I was going to save the Sami Zayn, that's fine. I, you can't rule Sami Zayn out of this, which means it might be a fatal four-way. Or it could be a triple threat without Cody. Or it could be a triple threat without Drew. Like, there's so many different ways, but it just feels to me that coming out of Raw, 
And this is where, let's just go ahead and move to the next part of this topic that we're going to have. We need to figure out what's going to happen Thursday at this WrestleMania press event. Here we are on Tuesday, just over 48 hours before that happens in Las Vegas. And I think what we should do here is, Chris, predict what's going to happen there and also offer options for what we would do if we had the book and we're planning a pivot. Because this event, it almost seems to be the last chance for Cody. If he gets a match yeah, announced, it it's over. They're not going to pivot away from announcing a match involving him at all. If he's still in limbo coming out of this, then I would say hope is alive. My expectation is they announce Reigns against The Rock. I'm not sure whether it's going to be for the championship or just the tribal chief head of the table title. Hopefully the latter, because the title is really unnecessary to the storyline. And I don't think they announce another men's match. Rollins can be there. He is going to be there anyway as the World Heavyweight Champion. Rhodes is the Royal Rumble winner. They can leave it at that. Cody's still going to make his decision, but this is the main event of the show. It's Reigns, Rock, period. That's what we're doing. Even if the revised plan was initially Seth Cody, after hearing the crowd reaction Monday night in that opening segment, the booing of them fighting again, the references to the 3-0 and 2-0 records, and especially the Rocky sucks chance, it would be idiotic to just go ahead with Seth Cody with or without Drew or Sammy involved, particularly by announcing it this week. If you're gonna announce that match, you put that off as long as you possibly can, at least as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Now, that's my expectation. In terms of what I would do, I would have The Rock step to the podium, talk about Reigns, what he's done to their family, what he's done to WWE, have him say something along the lines of, I've seen the way my cousin has defended the title, using our family, our bloodline to keep him in power, the way he's treated our family, and I'm not gonna allow that to happen anymore. I've thought about this for a week, Cody, what you did stepping aside, understanding the gravity of all this, I have all the respect in the world for you. But it's time for you to finish your story, and I'll be there as the special enforcer to make sure this match is decided fair and square. Then you get Roman Cody, you have The Rock count the one, two, three, just like Mike Tyson, and you set up Reigns Rock at WrestleMania 41. It's so easy, and it's so much better. The other options, again, that's what I would do. You get to a triple threat, you have Cody but into the press conference and say, hey, I took counsel from the wrestlers. Rock, I took counsel from you. I forgot that I had to ask the fans. They all have my back. They all told me exactly what they want me to do. I'm changing my mind. I want Reigns at WrestleMania, whether you're there or not. That's how you make a triple threat, or that's how you make the two matches that I've discussed. And I'm not going to talk about that anymore because I've spent so much time talking about that over the last year, how they could do two matches, yeah. uh, one on each night. So... Chris, that's it for me. That's what I expect. And then again, that's what I would do if I had the book, if I had the pencil and I could make a pivot. I, I like that idea of a pivot. Um, it's probably one of the best pivots you can make at this point, mm -hmm. um, which again, the, the only problem though is that Cody said, I'm not coming for you at WrestleMania. I can't believe they had him say the things that he said. He could have just said, I've, I've spoken to counsel. Um, I've, uh, before I make a decision, I spoke to counsel and I know someone who knows you very well. Rock comes out, boom, and we leave with questions. Oh, is it triple threat? Is Rock replacing Cody? I don't know. Instead, they said, they said, I'm giving it up and I'm not coming for you to WrestleMania. So there's a lot of backtracking you have to do there. I'm, I guess I'll just take the pessimistic thought of they will do Rock Roman. They will do Cody, uh, Seth. 
Drew, maybe. I I don't know if they're going to announce both matches. I don't think they'll announce. I think they'll only announce Rock Roman. That's what I was saying. I think they won't. Right. Yeah, I think they won't announce anything for Cody, even for Elimination Chamber, potentially. I mean, maybe they do. But, you know, my theory that I explained on Friday is you have Cody fight at the Elimination Chamber. He gets screwed out again by Solo. And then he gets into the match. Maybe maybe Solo screws him out of a Drew match instead of a Roman match. I, I I don't know. But honestly, I do think now that the best resolution would be Rock as special enforcer, not Rock versus Roman. I I can't believe like my my, my idea was triple threat. But if you're really going to do Rock Roman, I can't believe you would do that in a triple threat, you know? It is weird to throw Cody into that, but that's the corner that they've booked themselves into where now they're going to just to fix it. They simply just have to go back on what. Well, that's the thing. The triple threat doesn't even really work. Like people keep saying, just throw throw Cody in it and make it a triple threat. But it ruins Rock Reigns, which needs to be its own match. And it ruins Rock Cody, which needs to be. I mean, uh, Reigns Cody, which needs to be its own match. Throwing them together, mashing them into this this weird mix. It, it it hurts. I mean, it's better than Cody not being in the match, but it's worse than the two matches happening individually. That's why I'm saying the real two best options are Rock as Enforcer leading to a match at 41 or another event or two separate matches and you have Cody fight someone else as well. You know, you've talked about it, the Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Yokozuna yeah. situation um, with Lex Luger. In the Enforcer slash guest referee would be the would be the ideal Absolutely. kickoff point to the Rock Roman story that yes. they haven't told us. You can it's tell the, a year-long storyline based off that. You took my so championship a, from yeah. me, and now you're trying to take my family from me, and I'm not going to allow that to happen. You can tell that story over an entire year, yeah. especially with you, the frequency that Roman do, shows up. And it's got to be what Cody said, which was, I, I know what I said Friday, but I've heard from the fans. I, I changed my mind. Insult them. Yeah. They want to see me. They want to see me at WrestleMania. I got to give them that. Yeah. You're going to have to just basically say, I changed my mind. And again, I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I, I don't really know if they're going to pull back on Rock Roman, but I don't know. I don't see them pulling back on it. And that's really the biggest problem. But again, if they want to do two matches, just do two matches. I don't understand why there is such a, either a resistance to it or why that is not something that what immediately came to their minds of like, okay, we want rock and reigns to main event. It's the big money match rocks agreeing to do it. We have to do it. What if we never have another opportunity? Like even though he's under contract with them now. Okay, fine. So then just do Roman and Cody on night one. Like, why is that so hard? I, I don't get it. Why can't Roman look, I understand Roman reigns hasn't wrestled twice in the same month since November, 2022. I get that. Okay. But he can wrestle back to back. He's, he's a, I don't know how old he is, Chris, 35. He's healthy. He's athletic. He's in great shape. The guy can go two nights in a row. He used to go seven days in a row back when he was on the road. He can do two nights. Yeah. 38 years old. 38. He can do it. I, I, I'm close to that age and I, I couldn't do it, but I'm not a top level athlete like Roman Reigns. He can go. Okay. Uh, we've seen, we've seen Seth Rollins and AJ Styles. These guys wrestle five nights a week. Roman Reigns can go back to back nights. So C- that- Cody and Cody and Roman are the same age. Okay, yeah, and Cody can certainly do it, so Roman can certainly do it, and especially given the fact that he's not wrestling every night. He's wrestling once a month, a month, if that. I think he's wrestled, what, eight times this entire year. It's absolutely wild. Now, I guess, Chris, that kind of wraps it up. Is there... Yeah. The only thing left to say, really, is I kind of lied to you all, you listening to the show, because 
I said on that instant reaction episode that we would get to all your questions and comments on this episode, but I could not have anticipated the news cycle and the immense social media reaction and us needing Chris to spend this much time on it at the start of the show. And we have too much to discuss over the remainder of this program to go through all your DMs and comments and and questions as promised. If we did, the show would be three hours. I think we've gone long enough with our recent episodes and probably will again today that extending the show further is not the best idea. And on top of that, given the WrestleMania press event on Thursday, I haven't even discussed this with you yet, but we may wind up needing to do an instant reaction to that. But this is what I'm going to say to all of you listening, the getting overheads. I did read your questions and comments. I responded to a few of you directly. Most of them touched on subjects we either covered Friday or covered today. And any that did not, I have written down and I will try to address them going forward, whether that's on if we do a show Thursday or Friday or next Tuesday or going forward after that, whatever the case. So please know the want to was there and we will certainly spotlight many of your questions and comments as the road to WrestleMania continues. My, my last thought on this, I do think the Rocky sucks chants are more effective in getting the message across Agreed. than the we want Cody chants because Michael Cole could twist we want Cody into we want Cody and we've got him here on the show, that, that, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm if coming out of Thursday, it's Rock Roman and that's all we know, very curious to see how Friday is going to go and things moving forward. Are we going to get more chance or are they, or, or are the fans going to give up and just accept it? Uh, if the rock, whenever the rock comes out, he's going to get a huge pop. He's the rock. But as he goes on a promo with Roman, will fans start to take that over? I, I, I don't know. So I don't think the fans are done expressing their uh, displeasure. The rock social media posts are pretty clear of that. Uh, but now we wait until Thursday and see if they give us something or not. I'll leave you with this. This is what Cody Rhodes, part of what Cody Rhodes said to the crowd after Raw went off the air Monday night. Those three words. Well, all I can say is this. Since I was a little boy who grew up loving everything, for you to want me is special because I have always wanted you. And that's just a short clip of a decently extended speech he gave to the crowd. Sami Zayn came out. He saved from Drew McIntyre. That was what they did for post-match with the crowd out there. Uh, Sami Zayn got cheered as well. So real interesting stuff here. Um, Hopefully we did the Roman Reigns, Rock, Cody Rhodes story justice between the Instant Reaction Show and, of course, the main event of this WWE episode. Unfortunately, it overshadowed so much else of what happened in the company over the last week, but we're not going to allow that to get overshadowed, Chris because we still have more show left and we're going to get to it all right now as we move into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Shorty. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. So let's start with the other big story from SmackDown. You want to talk about getting overshadowed uh, by The Rock. Io Sky, Asuka, and Kairi Sane were all talking and laughing together in Japanese backstage 
as they picked up their championships to leave the locker room, EO said in English, don't worry about it. Bailey's done tonight. And they laughed again. Bailey suddenly walked out from behind a door wearing all white. The rest of them were in dark colors with a very sad look on her face. Bailey followed by damage control, but no Dakota Kai. We're all then announced to the ring with Nick Aldis and Adam Pierce both waiting for her to make her decision as the Women's Royal Rumble winner. Bailey got babyface cheers and chants, saying she's defended every title at WrestleMania and even hosted it, but this time is different because she has her girls supporting her. EO was devilishly smiling, and when Bailey called them family, they all laughed behind her back until she turned around. Bailey said, being the best means beating the best, and brought up Rhea Ripley. She caught damage control laughing again and said, sometimes proving doubters wrong is even more important, especially when they're family or friends. Then she shocked everyone and got a real nice crowd reaction by actually speaking Japanese at the rest of Damage Control, saying she picked it up from hearing them constantly talk shit about her behind her back. Bailey said all she wanted was for Damage Control to go to the top together. She got an EO's face asking why she turned her back on her. Obviously, she was the original member. Uh, I, then ironically, when she did that, literally turned her back on the other two women. The Kabuki Warriors attacked her. Bailey, though, was smart had a hidden steel pipe in the ring steps, beat them with it before squaring off with EO, who ducked out of the ring before Bailey made the WrestleMania challenge official. This was so damn good. Let me get that out of the way here, okay? I do wish they gave it just one more week. Bailey overhearing them speak about her Friday, going out of her way to see how they would react if she did X, Y, or Z. And then next week, having gathered all that information, making a more firm and direct decision. It just felt a bit rushed in final execution, despite this being a storyline they have been building for months, especially because it was completely overshadowed, as I said, like 40 minutes later by The Rock. It was really unfortunate that everyone is overlooking how well this played out because all the focus was on Dwayne Johnson coming out of that episode. On Friday, we got a successful payoff to a multi-month storyline that directly leads into WrestleMania. I also wish Bailey had articulated the shit they were talking about her. Like maybe asking EO why they called her old or why they suggested they did all the hard work and didn't need her. Having a little bit of additional context other than the trio just being catty and bitchy to her, that would have made it even better. But there's a lot of build left over eight more shows. Dakota's obviously gonna be part of the angle too. It was executed well to show Bailey is smart and sympathetic while simultaneously allowing damage control to get all the heel heat the turn where she suddenly understood Japanese, that was brilliant. It reminded me of the Seinfeld episode where Frank Costanza translates Korean for Elaine in the nail salon. It was beautiful. <laughs> uh, it was also an excellent promo from Bailey in totality. One of the best of her entire career, the way she showed emotion vocally and took the audience through her journey. She's improved so much as a talker and fans followed her right along, cheering for her immediately. Even the concept that, okay, sure, she was a heel, but her intentions were to elevate other women. Being able to make that a babyface turn, that was just so well done, Chris. Like I said, this was an easy good. I'm glad we're doing the match, and this was a great segment. Yep, incredibly well done from, from start to finish. And it, it wasn't a sudden thing. Like, I know they showed blatantly, you know, oh, they're talking shit about Bailey, so then she turns the next time we see them. But if you had followed Damage Control ever since they brought in Asuka and Kyrie. Uh, there was shit talking. They were saying things in Japanese and Bailey didn't quite know. And you could tell they were 
saying things to themselves and not the others. And so if you've been paying, if you weren't paying close attention, you got it. If you were paying close attention, you got it. That's mm -hmm. why it worked great. My only nitpick. It's a good point. Was my only nitpick was the last thing that EO says to Asuka or whoever was in the locker room in English. Yeah, I know. Japanese. She says it in English. Yeah. And then you had to do it. So the audience knows I, you could have said it. Dakota Kai being there would have been a reason for them to do it in English, but it's possible Dakota's got another role in this story mm -hmm. that, that we, that we don't know yet. So that, that's possible. That was the only thing, but they kind of had to do it. There's kind of no real way to get around it. Um, but, I love Bailey the, when she spoke Japanese. Like it was very quick. It was an oh shit moment. Got it. Yeah, it was a real oh shit Everybody moment. Everybody got yeah. it. Like you don't need to know Japanese to realize she just spoke Japanese to them. So she knows what they've been saying. So it, it executed wonderfully. Bailey was great. One of the better promos of her career. Uh, awesome stuff. And I love that Bailey didn't attack EO. You know, she beat up the other ones and then she faced to face with EO and they didn't attack each mm -hmm. other. There's still the relationship between them that we need to get more into. And I'm looking forward to that. Because don't forget, it was Asuka and Kyrie who got recruited without her knowledge. You know, yeah. it's still Io's the one she was supporting along with Dakota. And you mentioned Dakota. She's nearing in-ring clearance. I bet you they do another angle where Bailey thinks Dakota still has her back and is going to be on her side against Io, only for Dakota to like beat her down and then the rest of them. And then it's Bailey by herself against all three of them. Mm -hmm. How is she going to overcome those odds? Typical baby face booking. I also want to mention, I'm not sure if WWE meant this as a direct callback, but the backstage segment seemed to play off that old Batista evolution storyline from back in 2005, right. where Batista overheard yeah. Triple H admitting to setting up a bunch of stuff with JBL to get Batista to sign with SmackDown. And to be fair, given I had criticisms of this segment, that similarly was a one night development despite a long-term evolution storyline. It doesn't change my perspective much that I would have loved one more week here, but that's worth understanding. And Triple H and Shawn Michaels also on NXT they both call back a lot to former storylines they were involved in back in their wrestling days. And I'm pretty sure this was meant to be that, which was just a little cool touch if you're a longtime fan and you remembered that. And we tweeted the video of it so you can go check it out on our Twitter at Getting Overcast. Uh, the Women's Tag Team Championships were on the line on Raw. Kabuki Warriors defending against Katana Chance and Caden Carter in a rematch. The other teams watched backstage. There was an awful botch off the ropes by Kyrie. Katana hit her with a draping double stomp to the back. There was a mini botch with a codebreaker-neckbreaker combo, but the heels came back with a running knee version of meat in the middle. The challengers hit most of After Party, uh, and that got a 2.9 broken fall. Kyrie prevented keg stand by grabbing Carter's legs. That allowed Asuka to boot Katana, with Sane hitting the assisted insane elbow for the retention in 10 minutes. This was a rough match. It was far worse than their first meeting. It didn't help that the crowd was completely disinterested, which I actually blame on the fans and not the women's creative because this has been built up. Their first match was good. They took the titles from them. There was every reason for fans to be interested. This is an awesome team in the Warriors and an athletic team in the KC's. Fans should have been excited for it. I'm giving this a light good because it needed to happen. The KC's needed their rematch. It was booked well, but the execution just wasn't there. And sometimes that happens. I'm not going to fault them and say the whole thing was bad just because it didn't come off as smoothly as it should have. So again, this was a light good. Yeah, I'm going to say light good as well. It was fine. Commentary did a good job trying to tell the story around it. Um, right, right team won. And that was it. That's pretty by the books. 
Uh, WWE did an entire day in the life of CM Punk on the day of his tricep surgery. He talked about being in a ton of pain, uh, but the mental aspect being tougher than the physical. There's nothing really to grade here, but it's just worth reminding that this guy's straight edge, so no painkillers for him as he rehabs this entire thing. I can't even imagine that kind of pain without something to take the edge off. As far as Punk, interesting that they're keeping him on TV. It makes me think they may not fully take him off during this recovery timeline. Maybe he does commentary or something, either main roster or NXT, but you have Drew McIntyre continuing to shit on Punk. You have WWE continuing to show Punk. That does not seem like a guy they're taking off TV for the entirety of his recovery. Well, and he's a draw and you just brought him back in a whole big return. It would suck for him to go away two months later and right. just not see him again, which is what happened with AEW, which is why if he had not, if he had gotten hurt in AEW, not done brawl out, uh, if he would have stuck around to do other things as well. I, I think WWE maybe saw that and saw it, how much it derails momentum for Punk. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's worth keeping him around in some form Uh and plus the Drew stuff, the Drew and him stuff is really hot. You don't want to just it completely is. shut it down. So if he can physically, you know, do it, um, I, I think it's worth doing. You're, you're, you're paying for him to be in your company. You'd like to get as much out of him as you can. Sure. No question. Uh, Sami Zayn did a taped stadium seat interview ahead of Raw, recounting his failure against Reigns. And now Triple H pulled him aside, calling him Rocky, the ultimate underdog who went to the wire against Apollo Creed. The first time, but ultimately won in the end. Sammy said he's no longer an underdog. He's a contender who will be a champion. He said he wanted to prove to fans that they didn't believe in him for nothing, that they were right to root for him. There was just so much emotion here. Sammy was excellent. This is probably his best individual segment since last year's WrestleMania. You could feel the passion, his gumption, his desire, and the unpolished production. They used like a handheld camera, someone else sitting in the seats. It gave it the perfect real life feel. This is one of those situations where I actually wish we had a grade better than good because this was not just good, it was excellent. And it was not at all lost on me that they're talking about Sammy as Rocky going into WrestleMania in Philadelphia. Maybe he's gonna be in the World Heavyweight title match like you mentioned earlier, whether that's as a triple threat or a fatal four-way, no matter who's involved, I don't know. As I've said before, I would do Rollins McIntyre Zane. I thought that would have been the perfect match. And I hope that's what they do with Cody fighting Roman, obviously. But regardless of any of that, this was fantastic from Sami Zayn. It was incredible. It was, it was fantastic. And it, it, it was authentically Sami Zayn. If you ever watch his interviews, he did some with Ariel Hawani. He's just, he's constantly just like, spitting out things and he knows sometimes he contradicts himself and things may not make sense, mm -hmm. but you see him actively working through his thought process verbally. And you kind of got that here and you can kind of connect with him on that as he's trying to figure out how things go. But yeah, he just, he talked about his failure and, and believing he can be a champion. And I couldn't take that any other way than to think he's going to be involved in the world heavyweight picture. Mm -hmm. It's very early to do it. If you were going to do it post WrestleMania, you know, correct. Like that, that would be something to do coming out of WrestleMania. So I don't know where it goes, but it was really good. And it kind of reminded me like, man, Sami Zayn had that high, high moment of the bloodline fallout, elimination chamber, the WrestleMania win. And then I know he was tag team champs for like several months afterward, but mm -hmm. there was just 
he's been there's been no real story for him for months other than a, other than a little bit of drew stuff at the end of the month at the end of the year um so we come back to that now and uh yeah you'd like to see him kind of get that momentum back because we know he can be as good of baby face as you could find yeah when it comes to Sami Zayn, if you will it dude it is no dream and fans are gonna will him back to the top as long as they give him the opportunity to put him in matches where they get to cheer for him as a babyface singles competitor, Sammy has every opportunity to get there. Uh, Naomi backstage walked out of Aldis's office celebrating that she signed with SmackDown. As Bianca Belair, Shotzi, and Chin were all jumping around, you know, parading with her, excited that she's with them, Tiffany Stratton followed out of the office, having also signed a contract, and she wanted the same praise from the women. The faces obviously did not buy in, so Stratton went face-to-face with Belair, saying she was standing up to the baddest. And then she blindsided Mi Chin and ran away. Don't discount it when I say Tiffy smacked the shit out of Mi Chin here. Like her pimp hand is strong. Aldis came out. He made the expected match. Belair later asked Aldis how she can get a number one contendership after Bailey makes her decision. As he was saying that, it was under discussion, like they were coming up with a decision. Logan Paul interrupted, demanding a match so that no one can diss him for being a part-timer. Then it got super contentious between Logan and Bianca, with him throwing some veiled compliments her way before walking off. More on Logan later. Uh, lots of interesting stuff here. Naomi on SmackDown makes perfect sense. I was surprised to see Tiffy on the blue brand because her boyfriend, Ludwig Kaiser, is on Raw. WWE almost always keeps couples together, but maybe this was like a need-based decision. Stratton made a statement right off the bat standing up to these women. The Bel Air-Paul interaction, that may have been random, but it's part of that world building we talk about that just yep. makes so much sense. It's something wrestling has largely been missing for the last couple of decades. Maybe they're teasing Logan going against Montez Ford for TV at some point. That would make a lot of sense. But you know what? I kind of want to see Bianca Belair fight Logan Paul. <laughs> like that's That was my thought coming out of this. Yeah. Both parts of this were good. And it was great that they had character building and advanced the show all within these segments. Yep, I loved every bit of this. This was extremely hot for the women's segment and then the Bianca Logan stuff, which, look, maybe you put Logan Paul next to Bianca Belair as a way to subtly promote the Hulu show that they've mm-hmm. got going on. But like, I saw that and I was like, ooh, this is like a fresh confrontation here that like I just it felt new. It felt fresh Two people who were really uh, good at what they do. And yeah, I'd love to see Bianca Belair versus Logan Paul. I imagine that's not going to happen, but it felt real it felt like a real thing that would happen backstage right and and that's great uh Meechin and stratton match that happened after this obviously tiffy countered eat defeat hitting her cartwheel alabama slam followed by prettiest moonsault ever for the win in eight minutes Meechin was a bit far for the moonsault to be as perfect as usual but it was a nice debut match for stratton even if there was a commercial that broke it up the crowd didn't really pop until the finish that's expected but it was also unfortunate WWE, I've said it already multiple times, they need to develop the mid-card of the women's division. The women's mid-card needs to be as over as the men's mid-card. They're just getting started. They're getting time and opportunity, but it needs to happen fast. Hopefully out of WrestleMania, we'll see a new you know, stage, let's say, for the women's division. Uh, but this was good overall. Stratton got the win. They got eight minutes. It was just enough time. It all made sense. Yep. Uh, good match. Enjoyed it. Uh, Tiffany Stratton's made a good impression uh, since she got there, I thought this match was really good. I I know the crowd wasn't super into it until the end, but I thought it was it was a, a bit of a banger. It was entertaining. Of, of a match. Um, the only thing missing is we don't really know yet who Tiffany Stratton is. Right. Wade Barrett mentioned on commentary 
that she was part of Team USA or training for Team USA or something. I went and looked at her Wikipedia page and she did some uh, some stuff, but I don't think she was close to the Olympics. But no. we need a vignette or, or something. We need who her character is other than just a rude person. And, and look, she just got up here. Don't need it right away. But like now as we're going to establish her, we need the character behind that. Right. I'm always fine with someone debuting, having a match and then them getting to that. You don't always have to have multiple yeah. weeks of vignettes leading into a debut, but you do need to have them. And I'm pretty confident they will. Tiffany, she's going to be too big of a star for them to not fully invest behind her. And speaking of people like that, Braun Breaker backstage was reviewing a SmackDown contract offer from Aldis when Pierce jumped in asking him to hold off signing until he saw his offer Monday night on Raw. Breaker agreed and Pierce puffed his chest as successful only for Jade Cargill to walk in wondering if now was a good time for their meeting. Aldis then demanded Pierce get lost so they could have some privacy. Over on Raw, Breaker met with Pierce who said his contract offer exceeded Aldis's in every way. It would give Braun everything he wanted and more, but that was it. Simple. And we never saw Jade Cargill on Raw. We never saw her again. Is there a rule in place that contracts can only be offered the night the show airs? Because why would it take five days for Pierce to put together a Raw contract offer for a top flight star, knowing you have competition breathing down your neck and their show is first? That logic gap aside, which is a logic gap, this was another strong backstage segment adding a dose of semi-reality to the proceedings on SmackDown and Raw just added to the story. The fact that people don't just show up on shows, but they actually get signed to them, is such a small point, but that storytelling aspect makes everything much more interesting and it gives Aldis and Pierce that banter between each other that now we're just waiting for that to explode. Are they gonna fight each other? Is it going to develop into a Survivor Series match next November? Like, what exactly is going to happen with them? Because eventually, something needs to happen with them. Yeah. Uh, also, this was this a, was good. An interesting time of year. It's an, to, yeah, it was good for sure. Good. Yeah. It's an interesting time of year to do this stuff. Normally, this is like post WrestleMania when all the NXT people around the up, NFL draft. Like, you yeah. know? Yeah, it, we're, we're doing it post Royal Rumble instead, and it's so it's just kind of another layer on a lot going on heading into WrestleMania season. I was a bit frustrated, Chris. Tell me if you agree that neither Andrade nor Naomi nor Jade were in front of the crowd over the last three shows. You had two returns and a debut at your second biggest premium live event of the year. And you did not capitalize putting any of them in front of fans the following week. You could have Andrade come out there and just put on a banger eight minute match against a really talented low card wrestler and have him go to the back. You could have had Naomi cut a promo out there, getting an ovation from the fans for coming back and maybe say that she has a focus on winning the women's title. You could have Jade boasting about what she did to Nia Jax, saying she can't wait to take over the WWE women's division. Am I off base on this? Because I feel pretty damn strong about it. That this was a huge missed opportunity with all three of those people. Yes, but to, to me, more than any was Jade. Uh, I, I didn't know if we were going to talk about her little segment or not, but I could not believe that one, we didn't get her on television again until the second hour of SmackDown. Right. Six, seven days since she made that Rumble appearance and just set social media afire. Uh, I, I'm very, very surprised at the lack of follow-up for her. It, whether it was a promo, whether it was a larger backstage segment, whether it was just an appearance on Raw here and there, we didn't see her at all and that was really really surprising and i think uh absolutely a missed opportunity to not like she was one of the biggest stars coming out of royal rumble mm -hmm. people want to see her 
and you got basically nothing in the following week, which I think is absolutely uh, dropping the ball, at least temporarily. Yeah, completely agree. I'm glad that you are on the same page as me and I'm not out on an island there. All right, let's move on. There's a lot more that happened across SmackDown and Raw. There was an Elimination Chamber qualifier, finally, uh, starting with the women's match. Becky Lynch against Shayna Baszler. We retweeted a really cute uh, comedy training montage with Rue, who's Becky's three-year-old daughter, as Mickey and Lynch as Becky Balboa. I promise you it's worth watching. Just find it on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast, Precious Wholesome. It's great. Another fun note for this. This was a WrestleMania rematch, if you remember, and Baszler's actually already 0-1 against Rue because of that. So she had an opportunity to be 0-2 here. Uh, Baszler was putting her gi on in the locker room, promising to take Becky apart limb by limb. Lynch then did a walk and talk saying her future is on the line. Typical Baszler match is really the best way to describe this. Becky went on a run and ate a huge knee. Shayna countered manhandle slam into an ankle lock submission. Becky hit a superplex. Shayna countered an armbar into a deadlift slam. There was a series of three or four counters before Becky hit manhandle slam to advance to her first elimination chamber match. Uh, not, uh, I was gonna say Nia. Shayna did not take the manhandle slam well. She basically threw herself backwards. It was a, kind of a botch fest. The camera showed Becky staring down the WrestleMania sign after the bell. It's tough to be on here weekly arguing for the women to get more in ring time and then actually get a longer women's match and wish it was shorter. But I really think this would have been hotter and more successful with two or three minutes cut off. The crowd was not that loud, probably because of Baszler's style, but it was also a mediocre crowd, like I said earlier, during matches throughout the entire show. Still, the booking was solid. Becky looked strong coming out of it. And overall, it was definitely good but I just never want to see Becky and Shayna wrestle again because they have negative chemistry together. It just does not work. But Becky in the Elimination Chamber plus Rue and the entire um, training montage video, it's a double good for me. I'll give it a good, but mostly because of everything leading into the match. I really liked Shayna pointing out in her promo, hey, the last time I was in Elimination Chamber, I eliminated everybody. She did. <laughs> And went to WrestleMania and couldn't get it done against Becky Lynch. And so we're doing a WrestleMania rematch here. And it made it feel like a big deal, especially the way they produced it and everything. And the match was kind of whatever. Yeah, like you said, not great chemistry between the two. Uh, but I'm still giving it a good because they made it feel like a big deal. Totally fair. Liv Morgan and Zoe Stark watched the match separately backstage. We learned they will fight in another qualifier next week. Morgan said she's had a year of her career taken away. And next week is about her revenge and her revenge is about Rhea Ripley, probably a top two or three promo in Liv's career. And I love they're not forgetting that awesome Ripley attack from nearly a year ago because Morgan sure as shit better want revenge from that. Remember how much we put that over? We said it was like one of the best attacks that we've seen in a long time. This promo immediately makes Liv a top contender alongside Becky to win Elimination Chamber. Maybe it even teases a triple threat for WrestleMania. I think it's fair to say we would all prefer Becky and Rhea one-on-one, but Liv does have a major case to be in that match. The story fits. I thought this was really good from Liv. I thought it was pretty good. Like She made good points, and it does make sense storyline. I didn't think she executed the promo really well. I, I felt like she maybe forgot her lines a couple of times. Okay. Um, but but it was it was a good reminder that she is in this picture, and we need to keep her in mind. So it definitely accomplished that. And uh, it's good. By the way, interesting that they're kind of slow playing the women's chamber matches. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a dual branded match, maybe because Bianca Belair, the segment we were talking about with um, 
Aldis was looking for number one contendership opportunities. I could see some of them getting involved in this, but it's been very slow played. They only did one qualifier here. They're only announced one for next week for the Raw side. And there's been zero announcement about a men's elimination chamber. It almost makes me think they might do that match around the United States Championship instead, whether Logan's in it and retains or it's for a number one contendership. But if they were doing it for the world title, and I know it might be on pause because of the whole Cody situation, and maybe that's all it is, and maybe starting Friday, we'll know exactly what the men's chamber is and we'll find out. But it feels like they're not announcing it yet because it's going to be mid-card or tag team or something else. Well, and and we've got Adam Pierce hyping up, or, or Nick Aldis, whoever it is, th- that they're going to announce Logan Paul's next opponent. Right. So, like, that would make sense for that to turn out to be the Elimination Chamber. So that, that, that may end up being what it is. And you could do a world, a men's world title match if you have Roman fight there or not and just have it not be a chamber match uh, as well. But that's my guess. My guess is the men's chamber match is going to be um, uh, Logan Paul's next opponent, which they've been hyping up for a week. It kind of feels like that's going to be the case. And SmackDown does have a pretty decent division, but I would be lying if I didn't say I'd be far more interested in raw men's talent being in that match than SmackDown men's talent. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, yeah, I, I overall, yes. Although I think there's some questions with both title pictures, which we'll get into, but um, okay. yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, Ripley hit the ring unexpectedly in kayfabe. We mentioned that earlier and grabbed the microphone. She screamed for Nia Jax and demanded she come to the ring. Pierce interrupted to calm Ripley down, saying she'll get Jax the right time in the right place, which is Elimination Chamber, for the Women's World Championship. Rhea was placated by that, but Nia entered anyway, shoulder-checked Pierce, knocked him off the ring apron, and then brawled with Rhea. A handful of security ran in to separate them. Jax took advantage by splashing all of them in the corner, including Ripley, and then Ripley was kind of knocked out from that, loopy, so she hit her a couple more times and added Annihilator and another slap to her face while she was sitting on her to end the segment. This was kind of great. Like seeing Rhea incensed and shaken for the first time by a women's challenger, that was important. And letting Nia get up on her for a second straight week, that was needed for her to seem like a real contender. There's still plenty of time until Chamber for Ripley to get her own shots in. There's going to be promo segments and they're going to build it. But just what we got on Monday and really what we got the last two weeks, this continues to be good. Yeah, really good. Nia, ever since she has come back, has been on point. Um, and I was kind of curious how they would get to it because we had been saying, Hey, once Nia beat Becky at day one, she should have been saying, I deserve a title shot. We never really kind of got around to it until last week. And now Rhea's pissed off. Rhea wants it too. So there we go. And it was nice and physical and it, it it's working. It, it's, it's rare. It's difficult to have Rhea work underneath and they're, 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 they're balancing a really important line here which Mm -hmm. is that Rhea is part of the heel judgment day but she's very much the face oh yeah here especially against Nia and so is not having Rhea kind of lose her character to be a face you kind of got to balance that and I think they're doing a really good job of that for sure I remain shocked that I'm actually interested in and anticipating a Nia Jax singles title match on a major show like that's how much she's improved and how solid a job Levesque yeah. has done booking her since her return. It's certainly not the best match Ripley could have gotten for this show. I mean, Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, she's like just a top tier women's contender, obviously would have been a better match. 
but it feels like they're pretty much going to be going with the Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant moment in front of 50,000 screaming mommy maniacs, brother. Like that seems to be the booking. And I don't hate it. Like I do wish he had a bigger tentpole match, but WrestleMania is next and they need to save it for that. So I understand. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And she she's the face in this. She was always going to be the face in Australia. Right. And as you transition that potentially to a Becky Lynch match at WrestleMania, we'll see how they kind of do that. But no, I, I think they've handled this really well. And, and, and you didn't want Rhea to do an Elimination Chamber match there. You want you want to have the moments where she's on the turnbuckles. You see the big crowd, get the adoration. She's not hidden behind all these bars. So it, it makes a lot of sense to do it this way. I do think it's going to go exactly as I propositioned a couple of weeks ago on the show where uh, the women's elimination chamber happens first. Becky wins. Then they do the Rhea Ripley match. Ripley retains. Becky comes out, confronts her. They do the first face-to-face in Perth. They point to the WrestleMania sign. And it's a huge moment for Ripley. You could also do it the opposite way. Ripley retains early. Then the women's elimination chamber. Ripley enters after to stare down Lynch inside the chamber. That would obviously be huge. I think it makes sense more the other way. But we're going to get, I'm pretty freaking confident. We're going to get that moment in Perth. And that's going to be awesome for both of them and for WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, Gunther Gunther was given a 600-day Intercontinental Championship celebration. Backstage before it started, Imperium checked with Pierce to make sure everything was set. There were columns lit up in the ring and a big pyro celebration on the stage. Gunther said he was done with celebrations because each new milestone is a given for his record reign. Fans actually cheered him. He said he's running out of competition without worthy challengers when suddenly Jay Uso's music hit. This was the second biggest pop of the entire night behind Cody. The crowd and McAfee went wild. Gunther shot at him, saying it was a simple gesture for a simple crowd. You know, the hands in the air. Jay said no disrespect. He put over Gunther's reign. The fans started punctuating each of their promos, both of them, Jay and Gunther, with yeet. Uh, Gunther shot at him again, saying, yeah, he set records and he's made history, but he's done it as a tag team, doing only 50% of the work. Jay repeated his resume. He issued the challenge. Gunther credited him for showing guts, stepping out of his family's shadow, but promised to beat him worse than his own family, back to the days when they couldn't tell him and Jimmy apart. Then he shoulder-checked him, only to get tackled by Jay. Imperium beat him three-on-one, and of course, New Day made the save, and there's going to be a six-man match next week. Slightly weak on the ending, but other than that, a super hot segment. I'm trying to remember over the course of this run, but this was probably Gunther's second or third best main roster promo segment. He was on fire, both on his own and then with Jay in the ring. It showed more personality than he usually does as well. I'm real curious what's going to happen here. It should be Jay and Jimmy at WrestleMania, but with Gunther losing Brock Lesnar as an opponent, maybe they're pivoting to that. WrestleMania just feels like the time for Gunther to drop it to a Sheamus or a Chad Gable or someone like that. Jay would not be bad, but it would not be ideal, especially because it would eliminate the Jimmy match, which has been planned for quite a while. Anyway, this was good. Yeah, it, it was good. It's a major credit to Jay that he's basically mostly just losing. He has been as yeah. a singles wrestler, and he's still over as all hell. And that's a really good sign, and and a sign that you can keep him as a singles wrestler, even though he hasn't done much and and, and all that. So this was good. Um, looking forward to the match. Not sure when or where it'll be. We'll get to it at some point because we know Gunther can't do Elimination Chamber because of visa issues. 
but uh, it was it was good. And Guther's right. Like he has beaten mostly everybody yeah. to this point. I was genuinely curious who was going to come out. I didn't know. And so when Jay's music hit, I was like, all right, yeah, that works. That makes sense. So I liked it. It was good. Logan Paul opened SmackDown saying he underestimated Kevin Owens, who did more damage to him than Floyd Mayweather. He got cheap heat and made fun of Rollins and CM Punk for getting injured before KO interrupted, calling the Royal Rumble a moral victory because he got to knock him out. Logan said the brass knuckles were a setup and KO got outsmarted. Owens admitted he got caught and put over the referee for doing his job. He got on the ring. Logan remarked that he smelled. So Owens said he smelled because he bathed in prime. Got a chuckle out of me. Logan said no to a rematch because he was awaiting a real challenger. Not what I would have chosen as an opening segment on a show with as much star power backstage as they had at SmackDown. That said, Logan was terrific on the mic with some of his quips, the way he played the crowd. It's still crazy that he's so damn comfortable by himself in the middle of a ring. Not exactly enthused if they do a rematch, whether it's on SmackDown or Elimination Chamber. I'd be way more happy if it was on SmackDown, but this was good overall as an individual segment. Yeah, first thing I wrote down is what I always write down, which is Logan Paul's just really good at this. And I it, it was good in the match that uh, commentary noted that Kevin Owens learned from his mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, he does the he does the brass knuckles again, but he figures out how to not they didn't they missed it at first. They didn't say it in the moment it happened, but after the match, uh they said it, hey, you learned from his mistake, blah, blah, blah. So uh that works. Um and this got this was the first half hour of SmackDown. This was a quarter of the show. And so I, I, I guess we're going to do a rematch or maybe maybe he'll be in the Elimination Chamber match, I guess, uh, that we just said we think will be Logan Paul's next thing. So if that happens, that makes sense. Yeah. Owens against Austin Theory was next coming out of this. KO focused on trash talking Logan while he was wrestling Theory. Paul, interestingly, put over both WWE and Theory's physique on commentary. Theory got knees up on a swanton bomb. Owens came back with a tornado DDT, and then he hit the swanton. Theory answered with a rolling blockbuster, took Owens off the ropes with a spinning fireman's carry bomb. Logan tried to sneak Theory brass knuckles, but Owens stole them, knocked out both Grayson Waller and Theory, this time hiding them from the referee during a cover, and he got the win. I'm going to say from the start here that I'm perhaps off base on this one. I could see some people disagreeing with me. I struggled to care much about this match. The winner was a foregone conclusion. It was the third time they fought in three and a half months. And the match flow was interrupted by not one, but two commercial breaks. There was nothing actively wrong with it, but I did not find it enjoyable. So I'm saying a light, light, light bad here. I'm giving it all a light good for the reasons that I said. But the problem is nothing, everything with Austin Theory just, lacks juice you know he you know he's there he'd either take a punch or lose eventually you don't really take him seriously he's just been kind of floating for a while and they still haven't figured out kind of who he is so yeah you see kevin owens austin theory and you're thinking all right kevin owens is going to win this or maybe logan paul interferes and we got one of those two and so you just austin theory's just in that weird spot right now where he's just there he's kind of a lackey at this point despite looking like a million bucks and all these types of things and Mm -hmm. they just still haven't really figured out what he is i think him and grayson waller as a tag team in the tag team division would be great the problem is tag team division's got this whole issue of judgment day having the titles and nothing really happening with them so it's a shockingly loaded tag team division on both rosters it is and it's not being utilized which is crazy they built up the division 
better than it's been in terms of number of teams, quality of teams in years. And there's one set of titles and they're barely defended. I know there's a match coming up. We're going to talk about that momentarily, but you make a great point. They would be a perfect team in that division to be, you know, a legitimate contender, but they're just not. And the other thing that's weird also, Chris, is Elimination Chamber is like three-ish weeks away now. They're not doing anything with Waller. He needs a feud. He needs to have a match on that show. Yeah, that's a good point too. Right? He's Australian. Yeah, and and he gets over, gets heel heat. I mean, maybe they just do a Grayson Waller effect, and he interviews that's, some, that's someone notable. They're just gonna do. They're gonna do another talk show again. Yeah, and I, I hate that, but like maybe it works depending on who the guest is. Maybe it's someone that's really interesting. Uh, Santos Escobar hosted a Legado del Fantasma dinner, saying his heart was filled with joy seeing them all together. He said they've been entrusted to carry the legacy of their families and Lucha Libre itself, which means they must eradicate Rey Mysterio and the LWO. This served as a prelude into the ensuing match that we're going to discuss, but it was basically the return of the original Legado, which was the best incarnation, even if two of the members are different, the feeling is back. I hate to use the feeling is restored type of deal, uh, but it was. I felt like Legato was back to basics, exactly what it always should have been. This was an easy good for everything from the presentation to the focused goal of the faction. And just also, they're all real attractive people <laughs> all together, and it's a good looking group. So Legato, that's a good. I loved it. I love this whole thing. It, it made them feel together. It made them feel like the family. It made them feel uh, just everything you want to out of that. So obvious good for sure. Somewhat applicable. Also, we haven't played that in a long time. I figured I'd drop that in there. Uh, LWO fought Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate, also pretty deadly, and Legato. And this unique angle was that the winner of this match would face the winner of a similar fatal four-way match on Raw. They would then fight to determine the number one contender for Judgment Day's tag team titles with that match happening at Elimination Chamber. So the faces did the middle rope slingshot splash move from NXT for Joaquin Wild, except production used the wrong camera angle and it hardly looked special. Even on replay, it didn't go as far as it did in NXT. They also made a stupid decision to say, let's go viral before executing the move, which ruined the spontaneity of the entire deal. Viral clips don't begin with someone suggesting that we go viral. They happen and then they happen to go viral. So corny. I was disappointed to see something legitimately awesome from NXT get botched this way on the main roster. It pissed me off. I digress. The Brits combined for a rebound Lariat German suplex. Legato hit an assisted pop-up powerbomb. LWO hit Stereo's springboard dropkicks. Zelina Vega took out Lopez as revenge for last week. The Brits then hit double bitter end for the win. They got a real nice reception. The match was fun overall. Just not much else to take away from it. I do like the mini tournament to determine a number one contender, given there's no major tag team storylines happening right now. I went 3.5 stars B for this match, and it was good. Yeah, it was fun. A, a, a light good. And you'll, you'll get into the raw one as well here too. I will. A uh, side note coming out of this. Umberto Carrillo had his name reduced to Umberto when moving back to the main roster. We already knew this. Now, he's Berto. I obviously hate it because oh, I, I missed that. Yeah, I, I hate it not because of Berto, but I dislike that he and Angel are only using their first names. That's nonsensical. But Berto for Umberto is literally just John for Jonathan or for you, Chris for Christopher. So I don't mind that in a vacuum of it being his first name. A lot of people were criticizing it. I just think they don't know people who were named Umberto. I've known two in my life. Both of them I called Berto. So 
for me, this was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's a good, it's better than saying Umberto every single time. It's shorter, it's easier. But for it to be his only name, like Angel, that's a butch situation. And it's just, it's weird. I don't know why you have Santos Escobar, Electro Lopez, and then Angel Umberto. It's just weird to me. So I don't know. Felt like I needed to say that here. You mentioned the same match on Raw, the Fatal 4-Way. Let's move to that. DIY, New Day, Creed Brothers, and Imperium. The Creeds had new gear. It looked like they got it out of an East Bay catalog. Uh, they used the inferior Fatal 4-Way rules just like they did in the first match. Johnny Gargano caught Xavier Woods running for a well-timed slingshot spear. Julius did an Escalera senton outside. Then Tommaso Ciampa took Woods off the ropes for an avalanche air raid crash into the pile at ringside. New Day based a five-man Tower of Doom with Brutus hitting a nearly over-rotating moonsault. Giovanni Vinci then ran him over like a semi-truck. Julius hit like six superplexes all while Brutus had Vinci in an ankle lock until it was finally broken. The Brutus ball took out four dudes outside as McAfee correctly wondered who was legal. It was chaotic. I didn't even know who was legal. Champa blind tagged, and after a Brutus ball on Vinci, DIY hit meat in the middle for the win. There was a botch in the finish. Gargano initially covered, but Champa pushed him out of the way, and I'd say he got 2.9 out of the three count and the win. This was a strange match in terms of crowd response. They were really hot entering the first commercial, and then they kind of died out, almost like they were tired of cheering or something like that. Numerous big spots, not what I would call an exceptional match. It was too chaotic, too little tagging, uh, 3.75 stars B+. On a side note, I was annoyed that Brutus Ball is still the Creed's finisher. That said, everyone got over. The crowd was clearly entertained throughout. DIY got another establishment win. This was good. Yeah, it, it was good. And I, I just, you look at these two matches with four teams. Eight total. And to yeah. point we just said, eight teams total that all like could be in the tag team picture, but we what we don't, I know technically they are here, but they're eight teams down to two, down to one to fight Judgment Day. We, I can't believe we've gone a full year and we still have one. We have two sets of tag team titles that are held by one team. Right. I cannot, but we've gone like, Two years of that now? They neither unified them nor separated them. It's very odd. Yeah, how do we not just go back to a Raw and SmackDown tag team champions? Call them world tag team, whatever. Like, we've been begging for this for a year now since Sammy and Kevin Owens won them. Split up the titles. You've got really good tag teams here and nothing for them to really do other than to continue to fight each other for the right to lose to Judgment Day. And now we've got... um, uh, two teams fighting for the right to face Judgment Day, one of which DIY just fought Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but that's okay if they if hey, they earn another chance. That's okay in kayfabe. Yeah, I just would I would just love for more more for all of these guys to do and have more titles for them to go to because it's really good stuff here. I can't believe we still have one set of titles, so to speak. Totally. Now we're gonna get a black and gold NXT banger this Friday on SmackDown. British strong style against DIY for the number one contendership. That is going to be fantastic. That's going to be a banger. Promise you on that one. Tune in Friday. Uh, Judgment Day backstage didn't care who won the number one contendership. Dominic Mysterio said Rhea was okay after the attack. They all expressed confidence in her. R-Truth suddenly jumped into the clubhouse, assuming last week was just an initiation. Finn Balor was just so frustrated he walked out. And Damian Priest was so frustrated, he just left and said, hey, make yourself at home. I don't even care anymore. Then uh, R-Truth picked up a box of shirts and seemed to come up with an idea. So we had Miz against J.D. McDonough. The match started fine. The crowd was dead for this. 
Truth entered after a commercial and started throwing shirts to fans, literally while he was in the crowd. That distraction allowed Miz to get feet up on a moonsault. He later put a shirt on Dom with Miz taking him out. GD headbutted Miz inside and hit a moonsault. Truth hopped on the apron to pay McDonough his cut. And to be fair, he handed him like two or three bands. So obviously JD took it because who's turning down a couple grand, even if it's in the middle of a match. JD took it, put it in his tights, miscapitalized with skull crushing finale. The money went flying and he got the win. The backstage segment was fun. R-Truth popping in made me laugh. The match kind of sucked. And there are plenty who enjoy all these antics. And I was down for it during the down period, during football season, leading into Royal Rumble. But we're on the road to WrestleMania now. And this comedy storyline, it looked to be over both at the Royal Rumble and again last week, yet it's still ongoing. And I am super worried that Awesome Truth are gonna wind up winning the tag team titles at WrestleMania. That is not the match that should be happening and they should not be tag team champions, period. But even besides that, I'm just not really entertained by it anymore outside of that one moment where Truth popped into the clubhouse. This was bad. It was bad. But it was bad oh, for a few reasons. I thought you were going to disagree with like me. That's so funny. Okay, go ahead. No. Yeah. Because what have I been saying? They keep beating down truth and it means nothing. Like, how many times are we going to say, no, that was it. They kicked him out of the judgment day. They, that was that was the heel move. And then the next week, he's back and they're like, ah, oh, look at our truth. He's just hanging around. Like, I can't believe they're continuing to. What is the point? of what happened at the Rumble, what happened last week, what happened the previous times, if it doesn't matter. this is He's been beaten down like three or four times at this point. What they should be doing is Miz tries to explain to him seriously, like, dude, I'm your friend. They're not your friends. You don't want to be part of that group. And then eventually Miz at some point is getting beat down by the Judgment Day and R-Truth has to make the decision and he saves Miz. And then they beat down both of them, seriously, longer than 30 seconds. And then you do R-Truth versus Judgment Day. Not saying it has to be WrestleMania, not saying they have to win, but like, what is the story with Judgment Day right now? We thought coming out of 2020. Three, they'd refocus and get back to what they need to do. Oh, a couple of our true things here were funny, but then they just keep going back to that. It's the same thing every single night with Judgment Day right now. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. What's funny is I actually had that queued up because I was going to say the same thing. So, I mean, we don't plan that, but you nailed it. So I'm glad you brought us right into it. Uh, let's keep going, though, because we have a lot more to talk about or not. We have a little bit more to talk about. We still want to try to hit the final segment of the show. Uh, Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits fought Final Testament. At least they were supposed to. All six guys started brawling inside and outside the ring before the bell. Scarlett again jumped on Lashley's back, giving the heels the advantage, only for B-Fab to suddenly appear in the ring and boot her head off. There was no match. The fans did not give a shit about B-Fab, and she wasn't even a surprise given they've teased it two or three times in backstage segments. These faces still don't have a name for their group. The presentation is just Lashley plus two guys. Why Bel Air is not the women in this faction? I have no idea. She's literally Montez Ford's wife. Should I say he's her husband? And they've been promoting a reality show. So why would they not work together on screen? I could not find any part of this worth praising. That's despite the fact that just last week, I said I liked Final Testament and they were really bringing out the baby face in Lashley and the Prophets and that it was actually working well and I was excited to see this match. Except we didn't get the match. The whole thing got pushed forward again. Lashley and the Prophets have done nothing for nine months. This was straight up bad. I actually thought it was the worst part of SmackDown. 
I was going to give this an ugly. I, I mean, wh- fine. What did give it an ugly. Complain? It's an ugly. What do we complain about with the Bobby Lashley, our true uh, Bobby Lashley street profit stuff? It was okay. They did something, but then they never did the thing we were expecting. Okay. They're together, but nothing's happening. And so they hype up, Hey, we're going to have final Testament and these guys face to face. And then just nothing really happened again. Like, where are we going with any of this? It's been like six, seven months of Lashley and and the Prophets, and they don't have a name. I still don't know what their focus is. And I really liked what Final Testament was doing when they showed up. Oh, we kind of got something here. Pull the trigger. Just give us a Do match. Let them wrestle. Guys. Give us a match. Give us something. What are we waiting for? God. Hey. We're wrestlers in a wrestling ring. Let's just freaking wrestle. I'm bored, brother. That's the truth. I'm bored. It's boring at this point. Let them wrestle. Let something develop and happen and give them a name and, and set them up as something, especially now that they're a full faction with BFAB and it's official. Just make me care because right now I don't. Uh, Akira Tozawa and Maxine Dupree fought Ivar and Valhalla on Raw. Cole went off again about the antlers being absent. I, I, I just don't get it. Maxine had two botches in the first 30 seconds. She tried to distract Ivar. He overpowered Tozawa, lifting him from the canvas to the second rope by the neck and hitting an avalanche world's strongest slam for the win. I have no idea why this feud is continuing unless we're actually going to get Chad Gable over Ivar to set him back on an intercontinental title course. But if that's not happening, then the fact that this is continuing is ridiculous. It's immensely repetitive. Even if this was a different match setup, it was it was just bad. Dude, what the heck happened to Chad Gable and Otis? Like, well, where are Otis, they? Like, Otis lost they? a parent, so... That's what's happening. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. didn't, didn't know that. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but Chad Gable, him, he's not in the Rumble. He's not having many matches on television. Like, why are we getting so much Tazawa and Maxine? <laughs> like, it should be like they were fun sidekicks and background characters right. to Alpha Academy to Chad Gable. Like, why are they getting so much time here? I just, man, I'm really, really concerned about where Chad Gable is right now and has been for the last month or so. Well, hopefully we'll have a little bit of insight to that when we do finally get to our Royal Rumble interview episode, because I did interview Chad Gable about a topic similar to that. It's a little bit of a tease for you. That wraps up the good, the bad and the ugly. This has been a long ass show, but Chris, it's Super Bowl week and we have a last word related to that. So what the hell? Let's get to the last word. So DJ take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. Real quick from Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. What are your guys' official Super Bowl picks? Also, unsure if you guys partake in sports betting. What is one thing you would bet on for the game? And the fun part, if they were in charge and if the NFL was scripted, how do you think WWE would book the game? Okay, there's a lot there. I'm gonna give this to you really quick. Uh, I haven't made my official Super Bowl pick. I actually am significantly into sports betting, and I've picked NFL games all season. I've done that for multiple years. I have a fantastic record, and it's all available. Uh, If you follow my Twitter account, at Silverstein Adam, my personal account, I mention where my picks are, and you can go find them and all that type of stuff. I've been doing great all year. Knock on wood, that continues through the Super Bowl. Not trying to put myself over, just fact. My percentage is extremely high. Um... I don't yet know what my final score prediction is going to be. I do think the Chiefs win the game. I love Patrick Mahomes, love Andy Reid with extra preparation time. Uh, There's clearly more playmaking talent on the 49ers side, but between the coaching and the quarterback, for me, 
it leads me to the Chiefs. I also really like their defense on top of that. So that's my pick. And my bet for the game would most likely be Chiefs plus two, plus two and a half. We'll try to get to plus three before kickoff. Chris, why don't you uh, go ahead with yours and then we'll talk about the other part of the question. Yeah, I mean, if you can get to plus three, that that's huge. I, yeah. I, my pick is Chiefs as well. 49ers opened as a two and a half point favorite. I think it's down to like one and a half now. Um, I know the 49ers have some talent on the D line and that's what messed up the Chiefs when they played the Bucs, but Chiefs in the playoffs, I was not that impressed with the 49ers defense, especially against the Lions. Mm-hmm. Pick is the Chiefs as well. If I could bet on one thing, it would be to take the over on the number of times Taylor <laughs> Swift is shown. Well, what's the number? I do, don't do we take, have the line? I don't know what the number is. I don't know what the number is, but I'll take the over on it. And I don't say that as someone who is annoyed by the shots of her. Me neither. I think it's great. I love it. I have no problem with it. She seems to really like football. Um, I just think the Super Bowl is going to go over the top and try to show her as much as they can. Uh, so I would take the over on that. I like their relationship. I like her. I like Travis Kelsey. I'm fine with all of it. I have no issue. I don't understand why yeah. people get upset about it. It's the stupidest thing in the entire world. If it was scripted, how would WWE book the game? Uh, I'll tell you what they would do. They would have Taylor Swift come down from her box um, and Travis Kelsey would be injured or he'd drop a touchdown or something would happen. She'd pump him up on the sideline, something like that. He'd catch the game winning touchdown. They'd celebrate. He'd propose to her after the Super Bowl on the field. That's how WWE would book it. Just like John Cena and Nikki Bella. That did not last. That did Um, not. Let's hope. uh, Yeah. Fingers crossed for them that this one lasts. If WWE was booking this um, a couple days before the Super Bowl, uh, the rock would come in (laughs) and they would say, actually, the San Francisco 49ers are not going to be in the Super Bowl. It is instead going to be the Rocks XFL Arlington Renegades who won the league last year. They will be contending <laughs> for the Super Bowl. That's how it would be booked. Let's bring this whole thing full circle. Baby. Right. And the 49ers, they get to go play in the new UFL championship. They, they've earned a spot and they'll get that, you know, in four months whenever that is actually played. Exactly. Yeah. All right, folks. That was a extended yet again, WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast, also known as Getting Over. We appreciate all of you listening, of course, to this show, being with us throughout the entire week, helping us become an award-winning podcast. Thanks to the Sports Podcast Awards, Best Wrestling Podcast for 2023. We greatly appreciate it. In terms of what's still to come here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast this week, we will be back on Thursday where we talk fallout from NXT Vengeance Day and the entire week in AEW, I should mention, if you missed it, we have an NXT Vengeance Day instant analysis podcast that's also in the archive, along with that WWE instant reaction to everything that happened on SmackDown with Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, and The Rock, both of those waiting for your ear holes if you have not lent them already. But we will be back on Thursday, early Thursday, with that show. And we're going to take a wait and see approach in terms of the WrestleMania press event on Thursday, SmackDown on Friday. We don't know what's going to happen. If something happens in that press event that materially changes our expectations of what's going to happen at WrestleMania 40, we might give you another instant reaction show. If not, we'll probably be back next Tuesday with another WWE episode. Stay tuned to our Twitter account at Getting Overcast for all of those updates. It's also where you can send us questions and comments via DM and tweet. It's also where you can get episode drops, news, highlights, and analysis. Again, all of that on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Please remember that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about 
Defied. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show, just like we did earlier. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year. You can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get the bonus audio. You will get the exclusive news posts and more. All of it, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. And if you wish to invest and donate to the future of getting over, both to help pay our hosting fees, some new technology that we're trying to invest in, you can do that as well. We're going to limit it to a certain amount because you guys usually flood us when we do this. Um, but it's Venmo at Adam Silverstein. My name exactly as it's spelled. There's an ECW World Heavyweight Championship uh, picture as the icon. And if you need PayPal and you want to contribute, simply DM us at Getting Overcast. I'll give you the PayPal address. But we appreciate anyone and everyone who decides they want to contribute. We appreciate anyone and everyone just for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That does wrap it up for today. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.